What's going on, everybody? Uh, this week on Bottom of the Bill, we have Matt Muling, the guitar player from the Kill Tony Band, which is my favorite podcast. Matt Muling is an amazing guitar player, uh, writer, composer, uh, and uh, a member of uh, the Kill Tony Band. On uh, You can like look at all that stuff on Spotify. It's one of the biggest live podcasts in the country. We're super excited to have him on. We're real big fans of that show, but also him as well. He's a really nice guy. He's got tons of stuff going on. So... Um, you know, without further ado, here is Matt Muling. Enjoy the episode, guys. This is Bottom of the Bill. All right, well, welcome everybody to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. We got Matt Muling on from the Kill Tony Band and plenty of other projects uh, that he's got going over in Austin, Texas. Um, this is our second time doing this. Uh, and I'm stoked to just, at least it's another excuse to like get to hang out and, and talk shit again, man. I really had fun the first time. It's a shame that nobody will get to hear that conversation, but I'm excited to get to hang, hang and do this again. Yeah, same. I felt exactly the same way. I was like, man, that's a drag, but we get to do it again. It was really fun last time, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Uh, so you'll notice that Billy's not here with me today. Um, he has taken uh, some time off from the podcasting. Thing. So it's just going to be uh, you and I chatting today. I'm sure Chris and Gene will be interjecting as well. All right, sweet. Um, so is, is, is he cool? Is everything good? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's good, man. He's we're, and like we're good. Every, everyone's good. There's like it's all super amicable. He's just got like, you know, priorities right now and just needs he's he was moving and all kinds of shit going on. He's he's has to like get himself right, you know, with his personal stuff right now. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Self-care. It's, it's such a big thing man. I tell people all the time is as we get you know, older, like, like the 20s, like your 20s, I feel like are all about grinding and just like, and just taking whatever opportunity you can. And um, you, and I think it's good to do that. It's important to do that because you get to learn like, you know, what works and what doesn't work and you get to read through the lines on the bullshit and you know, what's real and what's not real. Um, but yeah. then in your 30s, I feel like it's, it's kind of time like you start to think about working smarter and not harder so like you're still driven and like young enough to be like to have the energy to work and work hard but i think that you have a little bit more awareness as to what the right opportunities to like work hard for are if that makes sense yeah definitely a buddy of mine and i were talking about it you, you just you really get good at looking for those those red flags and and how to say like okay well this this opportunity is probably for somebody else yes you know like this isn't gonna this isn't going to do as much for me as, as they would have you believe. Totally. What What are some kind? Of, I'm curious because I feel like every musician's got a bit of a different perspective on this. Are there like certain red flags that you look for in those scenarios? If somebody comes to you with an opportunity and you're like, you know, maybe you say yes or you're kind of questioning it. Like, what is a thing or like one of the things that you'll look for that's going to make you say no? Man, at the uh, at the risk of offending some of my friends from back in the day. Uh, <laughs> A big one that's very Austin specific around, you know, for me is just um, when South by Southwest rolls around. Right. Just about anything that has the has the um, has the term unofficial showcase attached to it yep. <laughs> is like, ah, yeah, you know, or like just when they mention it being an unaffiliated um, simultaneous festival. So what about that, that makes you want to like not engage in those? Is it the pay or is it just like the way that it's run? Kind of, 
kind of all of the above in my experience the whole emphasis with south by southwest is like it's like the ultimate austin exposure gig and there's there's like definitely some some credit to that hype and with the the unofficial showcases the the side festivals and all that stuff you're you're kind of lured in with the same carrot but it's none of the people who can like help your career are going to those things right you know you kind of just have to decide like all right well am i am i you know you got to manage your expectations like okay this isn't this isn't gonna like blow me up but it will be in front of a great crowd and if that's what i'm there for then like you know go by all means go ahead and do it but yeah i don't know like after like gigging in this city for 15 years it's like I'm going to be in front of another crowd that's, I can, I can get that, you know, when and wherever I want. Um, so in order for me to kind of maintain my, you know, my, my self care, it's like, maybe I don't want to go out and battle the festival and the traffic and, and all that just for like a hundred bucks and like a, a fun night, you know, right. I can, I can have a fun night at home with my wife and kids. Totally, totally, man. I had a sim- like not a similar thing, but kind of in the same vein of that recently, um, where it was a few months back, but like the 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 show was recent, uh, where I got asked to play guitar for somebody. You know, it was like an opening uh, slot for like this bigger artist who's getting a lot of name recognition right now, and it was for like an after party for something. And I was like, okay, I mean that that could be cool. And you know, the guy that's headlining the show is you know. Of uh, somebody that is a friend of ours, but also is like really kind of infiltrated the pop market. Mm-hmm. And I would like to maybe, you know, make that connection a little bit more. But then I was like, okay, the, you know, the person that hit me up, it was like, you know, the band that I know it was gonna be like, you know, n- maybe not the right opportunity uh, for me to showcase what I do with the people that I was gonna be playing with, if that makes sense. Try to like, put it lightly. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then it was on top of that, it was like, they offered me like, you know, a hundred bucks or something. And I was like, well, I'm going to need, you know, more money than that. And, you know, here's my rate. And if you can match that, then, you know, I'm down, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make the, you know, the best out of the, out of the opportunity. And then, you know, it wasn't, they weren't going to do that. So I turned it down, but it was like things like that, where you start to think like, okay, you know, sometimes if the money is, is right then you can kind of, you know, finagle something and make it work the best that you can. But if the opportunity yeah. is such where you feel like it might do you, your career disservice in the long run um, because right. of like, you know, just external factors uh, and then the pay is also not there, that's an opportunity where I will definitely lose. I'll take the hit on the money and, and the opportunity just because I don't think that's the right scenario that's going to help leverage my career at all, you know. All the opportunities that are handed to you or like that, that you have, like when you're younger, you think like, oh man, this is a thing that could like really make or break it. But then you do those things enough and you're like, no, it's not. And there's definitely going to be more right. of them. So like, this isn't the right time to try and like make that, that contact or whatever it might be, you know, just play that show or whatever. Just, there's just, you know, I don't know. I, it's just, it, it's, it's back to the whole things. Like the self-care thing is important as you get older, you know, and I think that you become more okay with just turning things down in order to get that, you know, so you can be more efficient in things that you do want to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, at least I try to. Man, it's it's hard to like shake off some of that old mentality. Sure. It's like they really, they, I don't even know who they is, but like the career itself will really bake in this idea that like every missed opportunity is like another nail in your coffin. <laughs> that's what they tell, that, that's what like the industry tells you the whole time when you're younger, right? It's like, yeah. I remember working with an agent when I was, first getting started, um, he was more of like a mentor, wasn't really like my agent, but he was an agent that was kind of like just helping me understand things. And mm -hmm. it, it was it was the same kind of thing where it was like, you know, every, you gotta take every opportunity, you gotta, you know, anything, you never know what's gonna happen. If you miss it, then that's it. Like it's a one shot that you get. It's just they people in the industry talk about, like they use that language all the time. And yeah. it's like, there's some truth to that, depending on like where you are, but like, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't like, you know, I think there's there's going to be more than one opportunity because it's like just the average, like the law of averages. Like there's no way it's just going to be one opportunity. And I remember just getting that idea, you know, just mashed into my head. So I was like hitting every single jam session and I was like, you know, that was working a full-time job and I was like, you know, trying to, and I'm booking gigs and writing songs and doing all this shit. I'm just like, this is too much. At some point, I have to focus on something and I can't just be grinding all the time. This is not, this makes no sense, you know? Um, yeah. do, you, do you feel that way a lot as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, especially now trying to navigate this whole balance between artist and sideman, where, you know, the more sideman work you do, the less time you have to present yourself as an artist. Totally. You know, I mean, like the whole industry is, is hard to navigate, but I feel like it's an, it's an especially precarious balance for for people trying to do this whole like artist and sideman thing, trying to figure out how to get the art that you're making pay money. Like it just, it's taken me forever to figure out. I still haven't figured it out, you know? And eventually I want it to like switch over to that. It's like, I make money because I make art, not because I play guitar for somebody. There's also just a whole lot of projects in town, especially right now in Austin, that like I'm stoked to be a part of. And then there's also just a whole bunch of people that are calling because they're like, hey, like everyone around here is saying that like the guy for the job is Matt Muling. And it's like, yeah, you know, what are, what do I do? I mean, I need money over here and I need, uh, I definitely want to work with these projects. The hang and the music is completely incredible. And then like, there's my project kind of like sitting there going like, hey, you know, you remember me? Every time I text the other two people in my band, I'm like, we need to rehearse. It's been a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have, sh we have shows coming up. And your music is not easy too, man. Like I, there was, I think yeah. uh, there was like a story that I saw recently that I commented on uh, where I think it was like a new tune that you guys were working out or something. And just, I mean, it's super like proggy fusion-esque. And it's just like, I can't imagine going into one of those gigs cold or even with like a rehearsal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Uh, I could spend a lot of time talking about that actually, because that's one of the struggles that we run into with that band. But at some point, this band was like under another name, and it had a cup, like it had one different member, and then there was like a big falling out, and the band went on without me and the violinist for a little while. 
and then the bass player for like the old version moved to Dallas to study law and the drummer and I had like a really big reconciliation and we were like okay let's let's try it again and I wanted it to be a bigger ensemble this time around I wanted to get a couple of friends of mine to come in and play bass and keys and then keep the drums violin and guitar thing and the bass player was just like yeah I'm like you guys are trying to rehearse every week and play all this crazy hard music and we're not making any money like I'm not down yeah and and he just like he came out right out the gate and said it and I respect that a lot and then the keyboard player uh was a guy that like I just trust to ask him to like take on a multi-role in the band it's like well do you, would you be comfortable playing key bass and keys and he said yeah and it immediately created like a new sound to the music that like I was very much enamored with and then a few months down the line he's like look this is this is taking up a lot of my bandwidth and I've got to step down like I've got my own artistry that I want to nurture and um and you know I understood and and he's gone and and now I'm left with this real conundrum that we've got like guitar violin and drums and we have this like insanely like multi-layered complex music that we're trying to pull off and we're not making any money so I can't like hire somebody to fill in the hole left behind you know what am I going to do and we had a showcase that um, I could afford to pay someone to play and I got one of my buddies to come in and and play keys and key bass on it and the first thing he said at the first rehearsal was like man if y'all had tracks this this would be crazy and I was like huh and he does a lot of production and I was like would you be down to like help make the tracks and he said yes but then he got busy and he couldn't do it so I was like all right I'm gonna make tracks myself and I I dove into Ableton because like I'm I'm not like I'm an Ableton noob you know yeah like through and through and so I dove into this program for like four months and designed these tracks and and built these songs up to work as a three-piece with tracks and we get to you know a month out from the first gig and I'm like man I feel pretty good about the way these sound but I also know there's like an industry standard for the way like your sessions have to look for running tracks at a show so that like your CPU operates at highest efficiency and you know the the engineer can mix it well and like there's there's just a whole other side of it that like I don't really know about and I asked a buddy of mine to just kind of help in you know be our playback engineer and give me some pointers you know on on how to like organize my sessions and make them look clean and and operate at maximum efficiency all this work and the first show was still just like the hardest thing any of us has ever done we we converted this crazy band into like a track band so now we need the tracks and the, the click and everything to like work in our ears we're operating with like minimal ideal amount of equipment right right like only the drummers got ears and we're doing this whole thing with monitors and oh man and yeah. it was just like <laughs> it was the most stressful gig of like all of our lives like collectively and individually it was just like 
this is the hardest gig ever. And, you know, kind of going back to what you said, like, I'd hate to, like, try and run that gig cold. One thing I didn't really think about is that, like, we've we've rehearsed this music and played really hard shows enough times that, like, we can bat, like, about an 89 on our worst day. And I listened back to some of the videos and I was like, man, everything sounds really good. So my big takeaway was, okay, we figured out how to execute. Even with the new variable of tracks, we, we can like, we can hit a great show on just about any given day. What I really need to figure out now is how to make it fun again. Right. <laughs> like how to, how to set everything up so that like we can play this show and enjoy playing this show. It sounds like there's got to be like a comfortability thing, right? Like maybe like, like an adapting to the to the situation. And then once you guys get like comfortable with you know, or find a setup that works and then you run yeah. you run the show four or five times and then you get through those and then you're like, yeah, we we're comfortable now. We know what to do. And then they become fun. I feel like, you know. Yeah, Ab I mean, absolutely. All of that stuff. And we were able to we were able to get it together like pretty quick. The, by the by the very next show we everybody felt really good like we finished the show and it was just like a gigantic collective exhale it's like yeah <laughs> like okay we can we can keep going this isn't going to be like jumping without a parachute literally every time we play a show it's like we can get it to where it feels good again right that's like the the hardest thing i think man is like for any any musician or artist that's like trying to put something out or or trying to like execute something um it's just doing it a couple of times and then knowing that you're capable of doing it and then yeah. you obviously you have to make adjustments as you go and figure out where you can do better and all that stuff but i think once it's executed a couple of times then there's a comfort level there it's like it's just it's just, it's just that initial stepping out of your comfort zone it's like literally any scenario like if you're if you're a musician and you're walking it, like you've never played a jazz gig and it's your first one, like maybe you know the tunes, but you've never been in this scenario, then you do it right. and you're super nervous, but you do it and you execute, then you know that you can do it again and again and again. Before you know it, it's just like, okay, well, I can do this now. I know that I can do this. Um, and it sounds right. like you're at a similar crossing point with this project now where you've executed and you're like, okay, perfect. Like I know that we can do this and we here, here where the adjustments need to be made once they're made, that we can really like have fun with this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if the music you're trying to execute is like needlessly complicated. <laughs> like I love, <laughs> I love really complex music, but like every time I get on the next gig where I'm just like, where I'm really like aiming high, I'm like, man, why, why do I keep, why do I keep doing this to myself? I had a buddy hire me for like a nineties country night, just like a cover gig basically. Yeah. And we were in the green room at a different gig and we were talking about it and, and we were just rattling off tunes. And uh, he started talking about this tune by the chicks called Sin Wagon, which is like a really up-tempo kind of barn burner, you know, very bluegrass-influenced country tune. And it's like a lot of fun to play. I was like, oh, yeah, man, Sin Wagon's dope. Yeah, that and Hot Wired by Brent Mason. He was like, dude, we can play it. And I was like, ah, okay. He goes, let's play it. And I was like, all right. I haven't actually <laughs> learned Hot Wired. I just like the song. So then like about a month out, I'm, you know, I'm like 
downloading the track and I start like transcribing it and learning how to map it out on the fretboard. And again, I'm just like, man, how did I, how did I do this to myself again? You know, this is like just a couple of weeks after the, the gig with my band that I was talking about that was so hard. And I'm like, man, I'm right back in it. And there's like a thing when you're swinging for the fences where you just have to realize like, man, that first gig, it's just not going to go <laughs> the way you want it to. Totally. It's just not going to. And I, I worked on Hotwired for like two weeks straight, just like trying to get it up to tempo and making sure actually to even like push the tempo a little higher so that when we get excited on stage and we're going faster than, than the record, I'll be okay. And still, like the head in on Hotwired, it was just like, this is a huge wipeout right now in yeah. front of everybody <laughs> on a 90s country night. Like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Here I am again. Well, did you? Everybody, I'm the, I'm the guy that tries really hard and fails publicly. It's fun. <laughs> hey, guess what? So are the rest of us here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I too have been victimized by Hotwire. It's okay. <laughs> That tune is that tune is brutal, but yeah. After that gig, I'm just like every time I sit down to play it, I'm like, man, I can't wait till the next one. I'm gonna fucking murder this tune. Yeah, I've had that happen so many times, man. There's this, um, not quite as technically difficult, but just uh, you know, it's difficult in its own right. Uh, and it was, I was learning it like a really long time ago. It was like a few years back. Um, there's this uh, Keb Mo tune called uh, um, "As Soon as I Get Paid." Uh, Chris knows yeah. it well as well, uh, and, but there's this intro that he does, and it's really just—it's not anything harmonically complicated. It's just kind of rhythmically, like you know, he's, but it's a very traditional kind of like finger picking blues kind of thing. But the phrasing is what's so like weird about it, you know. So I was yeah. learning it for like this blues night that I used to do like I don't know five years ago or something, and so I, I learned the intro, and I was like, the rest of the song is kind of basically more or less like a one, four, five. And, um, but the intro is why I wanted to really nail. And so I learned it and I'm like, you know, practicing it. And then we get to, we get to the gig and we go to do the tune and I just totally botched the intro. I mean, like it wasn't even <laughs> like close. I didn't hit, I mean, hardly any notes I was supposed to hit. And it's just one of those moments where we were like, fuck man, I knew this before I came in to the gig and just being on stage, seeing people there, like, you know, it's just all that, you start to get in your head about things. And then, you know, cause you know that you have that one, there's no like practicing. There's no like, let me start over if I fuck it up. It's just, right. you have to hit it or you don't. And then that's, that's what you just created for the people to experience right there was a total catastrophe. That's a lot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's a lot to, 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 it's a lot of weight to carry, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's heavy. Uh, people will come up no matter you know what i love is like af, n no matter what after the show people are going to come up to you and go like man that was awesome yeah <laughs> for sure and that's kind of like the thing where you're like yeah all right i mean and thank you for the compliment i i always like I, we had this conversation recently with somebody uh we you always love the compliment from anybody but there's a you know sometimes like a difference when the compliment comes from like a fellow musician because you yeah. know that they're I'll speak for myself, like I'm listening for the mistakes, right? So right. if somebody, if a musician comes up to me and say, hey man, that was killer, especially what you did on this part, then it's like, thank you very much, that means a lot. Versus somebody who's not a musician that's telling me it's great, you still appreciate the compliment, 
but you appreciate it from the perspective of like, right, but I know that you didn't hear this thing that I know that I fucked up on. So it's yeah. like, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. You don't want to say it means less, but it, it's just, it's a different kind of thing that you have to accept, I think. Yeah. Well, I love, yeah, actually the, the verbiage there that it's different. And I've really had to learn how to lean into that difference, how to remind myself that like the broad majority of your audience is non-musicians and that, you know, all we ever do is critique stuff. Like we've developed that muscle. Yeah. So like I, if I get a compliment from a musician, like, yeah, that's fantastic. But like at the end of a show, I'm not looking for that. Um, and especially as an artist, it's like, I really hope that this music impacted people. And if the, you know, the people I've never met before who I can tell after like five words have no idea how executing music works. If they came up to me and said, that was amazing. I really enjoyed that. Then like, that's actually the most important thing. And I need to like, accept that and engage them in conversation and not give them the whole like, oh man, well, I felt like shit about it, but thank you for saying so. It's like, no, dude, just like tell them thank you. Ask them what their name is. Right. And maybe talk about something for a second, you know, and realize that like the big picture, the job that you set out to do when you like compose the music and put it together with your band, that landed. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And that's the thing too, man. So when you when you degrade or not degrade, but like when you have to let people know about your shortcomings after they give you a compliment, it kind of uh, diminishes their taste, right? It's like they, yeah. they tell you like, oh man, that was amazing. Like, thank you for what you did tonight. And then you're like, oh, I felt like shit about that. And then it's like, okay, well, thank you for letting me know that my music, my taste in music is shit then, you know? Right, <laughs> it's, it's like you just, like as a total stranger, it's just like, oh, fuck me, right? Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Trying to tell you it was good, asshole. Exactly. It's like as, as musicians and artists, like, you know, you know what you're trying to do and and maybe you didn't hold yourself to your standard that night, but that's totally irrelevant because at the end of the day, your career is nothing without the people that come to support it. So if they loved yeah. what you did, then get out of your fucking head, accept, accept the compliment and like, and do better next time if you, if you feel like you need to, you know, that's that like somebody yeah. put that to me like in similar words very early on in my career because they were musicians complimenting my playing that night when I, they were the, music, the musicians that I was on stage with. And I was like, no, nah, I feel like I played like shit tonight, man. They were like, hey, don't do that, right? Stop doing yeah. that. Like <laughs> yeah, take the fucking that. compliment, man. We all know what we heard tonight, right. but we, right. but we also know that that's, that you're, you maybe you had an off night or whatever it might be. We all know what you're capable of. I'm giving you the compliment, just take it. You know, and then I was like, yeah, that's, I just, that was when I was 22 years old, 11 years later, I'm still, I still have that thing in my head, you know, that they told me, those two like yeah. older blues guys told me that night, it's still in the back of my fucking head every single day, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good shit. <laughs> yeah, man, there was a, there was an interview um, uh, Suzanne, I can't remember her name. She's she was in that band Honey Honey, uh, and she play she's does a lot of stuff with Gary Clark Jr. and stuff. Anyways, her and Gary Clark Jr. were on Joe Rogan's podcast one time, 
And Joe Rogan's always talking about how big of a fan of Gary Clark he is. He's like the greatest guitar player of all time, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, okay, you know, as musicians, we know. But also it's like, you know, that's somebody who likes that kind of music and he might be in that genre or whatever it might be. Anyways, he was telling that to Gary Clark Jr. And Gary Clark had like the perfect response, I thought, to that because he's a musician and he knows yeah. what, what the reality is, right? So like, yeah. he's like, well, I do what I do. You know, and I was like, that's like the, the best response to that. Cause like when somebody tells you that you're the best at something and like, you know, that that's a wild thing to say, like, of course not. Right. Like, it's, like it's so ludicrous. Yeah. It's like, it's a, what a crazy thing to say, but then, you know, you know, but how do you, how do you accept that without sounding like you're putting down everybody else who they're negating right because right. like as a musician you think about that but then also not uh not want to diminish their taste and their perspective on it like maybe you hit them a certain kind of way that nobody else does and that's just what it is so i thought his response to that was so perfect it was like well you know i do what i do i was like yeah, yeah. that's that's it like you that's that is it nobody else does what you do you do what you do right yeah yeah that's really good i'm definitely stealing that yeah I've stolen it plenty of times. I've, I've had people tell me th like things, you know, that are what I would consider to be equally as ludicrous. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I do what I do. Thank you very much. You know? Yeah. So you mentioned having like a, a family. Uh, how do you balance, you know, because you're a very busy guy. You, you're, you write, you run a band. You're also like a hired gun. Uh, and I, I like the humble brag that you did earlier about being like the best guy in Austin for the gig. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, how do you manage I'm, all yeah. that with a family, man? Man, I, I don't know if I do. I mean, <laughs> we've, one thing that we do here, cause my wife's a professional musician too. Oh, wow. And so, you know, um, she's the violinist. Oh, no shit. That's super cool. And so there are, there are definitely nights when it's like, yeah, mom and dad are going to be gone, either working together. Like sometimes we do like wedding gig stuff as a duo or as individuals. She'll have a gig and I'll have a gig, different spots. It's just this whole thing like, you know, kids, you're going to be on your own tonight. I'm sorry. So we do this thing. We've got a specific day each month where we'll, we'll all just get together. And that day, that whole day is just a family hang. We call it family fun day. <laughs> Super creative title. Yeah, that's right? say yeah. We're uh, <laughs> a bunch of musicians as real creative, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and we'll just we'll plan a whole series of activities. We'll put all the activities on like a random random wheel and then we'll get in the car and just like spin the wheel, like where are we going first? Um, and then just uh keep spinning it until all the choices are exhausted and then come home and hang, maybe watch movies, maybe have dinner. And just try to like, you know, have a day that's just just for us. Uh, you know, my wife and I are real, real intentional about like having a coffee run together in the mornings. And then when we get to a point where we feel disconnected, like trying to plan something like beyond the coffee run, you know, like there's because there's daily stuff, but you also need like you just need some. You need more, right? It can't be like, there's got to be something to be excited about. Of course, you know? yeah. And so if it's just like, yeah, well, this is what we do every day. Eventually, that's going to start to feel like routine and not quite so special, even though it is like the daily effort matters a whole lot. But also being very intentional about 
planning something special. The kids and I will, you know, pick a show or pick a movie. Olive and I, she's my youngest. We just went and saw uh, Mania together. Like she's, she's the only one in the house that's as big a Marvel nerd as I am. So like when the next one comes out, it's like, yeah, if, you know, whatever mom and Izzy want to do is fine. We're going to see that movie together. Y'all can get on the train or stay at home that's, doing whatever it is y'all do while we have fun. That's so cool though, man. I love that. Izzy and I will, will try to come up with a show to be into, you know, together for for as long as it runs, you know. Right. So right met- now we're doing we're doing The Last of Us and it's oh. it's pretty dope. So you met- I never played the game, but I know a lot about it and it's like they did a really good job. Sorry, I keep I bulldozed you twice now. No, it's okay. I was trying to do a fucking joke and I was gonna like <laughs> so <laughs> I was gonna say, so you mentioned Izzy being your favorite daughter, and how do you feel about the other one? <laughs> Oh shit! Did I say she was my favorite? No, no. Just you have like oh, that, you just you guys go to the movies together. You like the Marvel thing together. So that's oh was, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah Izzy. Uh, <laughs> nice one. Yeah, Jokes are, jokes are way funnier when you explain yeah, them. Yeah, that's a good. One. <laughs> I could more jokes in there. I couldn't help myself. Sorry. <laughs> I can't wait for your. Kill no, Tony it's good. Sam. I mean, yeah, I work. I work with Kill Tony, so it's like. It's par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that? He just said you suck. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Uh, yes. So um, we've talked about, we talked about that drummer, James Atkins, the, yes, the drum off. Orlando. Yeah. Badass. Yeah. And I guess last time we interviewed, so this is new news. James had a, a project that he brought to Austin. One of the reasons he wanted to be in Austin is, develop his, is to develop his artistry. So him... And his guitarist roommate and this bass player friend of theirs, they all moved from Orlando together. And then the bass player, for whatever reason, like stopped in Dallas. He moved to Dallas, and then the other two moved to Austin. Weird. Yeah, I don't. This far, I'm not sure no what that was all about. Probably found, <laughs> yeah. probably found a girl or something over there. Well, he's married. Oh, but um, <laughs> you know, they, you know how musicians they, work. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's weird. But they kept the project together, and so they started doing shows in Austin as a trio and um john dees and i have like a regular thing after the kill tony show on monday nights at this club called the gallery and so john would start or sorry james would start coming out and his guitarist buddy would start coming out and so we'd all end up like sitting in on stuff together and playing a lot together and uh james was really digging it so he just started like enveloping more musicians in john and i's circle including John and me and this other keyboard player named Dane. And uh, his group was called Sketch. And then so like just for fun in the group thread between the six of us, I named the the thread Super Sketch. And James just decided to like make that the group. He turned it from a trio into this like big six man, like super group consisting of all these, like these guys are, Dane and John, you know, these guys are heavy hitters. And then the guys that are already in his group, um, just like really badass musicians. So the whole Kill Tony squad quickly like caught wind of it. And now they come out to like all of our shows. And so one night, the Dane, the other keyboardist, he's kind of got the least amount of exposure to that crew of people. Oh, so boy. He walked, he walked up with his gear and um, 
I can't remember if he said it or if one of the other guys that knows both of them said it, but someone was just like, yo, David Lucas roast this guy. And no, I think it was their first time meeting. And David, David just has like immediate ammunition. Yeah. Like that guy's gun, that guy's guns are always loaded. Yeah. And, and, um, I don't remember what he said about Dane, but Dane was talking about it after the gig. He was like, bro, you know, it's one thing to see it on YouTube, you know, a couple of times. It's another thing to just like experience it. Like that dude is always ready and he's always deadly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's wild to be in that circle and like be surrounded by people who can like, just like take you apart with a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of fun. I, I was, um, concerned because I'm glad that I'm glad that you said that he uh, was familiar with the dynamic already though because like man if he had walked up and it was like David just roast this guy and he had no idea who these people were that would be yeah. I mean that's liable for a real bad situation to happen because man yeah he, that dude that, that dude cuts deep <laughs> dude he's he's deadly it's crazy has he ever gotten you before no, I don't, uh, man, there have been a couple of times where I've been like, yo, do me, do me. But I think like, he's also, you know, it's kind of like the, the, like the do a backflip thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, as soon as someone finds out you can do a backflip, then they're just going to yell, do a backflip at you every time you, every time they see you. Right. And after, after a while it just gets old. It's like, no, this is like, this is a thing that I do professionally. Like don't turn it into a parlor trick. And and I don't know how David's articulated it, but I've heard him talk about it a few times and, you know, kind of gathered as much that it's like, yeah, you don't you don't get these roasts for free. Right. You know, well, unless it's like unless it's special. So, like, don't just demand that I do a backflip for you randomly. Well, it's like as a musician, it's similar, right? If you like when people want you like at an event or something or a gathering where you're just kind of hanging out as a as a civilian uh and they yeah. they want you to play something it's like hey do you know this song Can you play it? it's like yeah i mean i didn't really want to do that right now you know i know right it's like it's like you know there's music is not a hobby for me it's 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 a passion for me and that passion to, is a spectrum right it's it's like this the, the spectrum of love and hate that's and, and if, if if that thing that you do encompasses that whole spectrum, that to me is what a passion is, right? And right yeah. now, I am uh, relatively indifferent about playing music, and <laughs> I don't want to do it. So right. it's not like it's not like I just want to sit here and play songs all the time. And thank you for asking me. I would love to play a song for you. It's like no man, right. like I, I'm. Times have changed. We're not the, we're not court jesters anymore. We're like right. we're, we're we're professionals with dignity, and we can you know choose how and when we do what we do. You know, yeah. And, like sometimes we're just existing. You know, I'm not a fucking jukebox. Exactly, exactly. I'm sure it's the same with comedians. You know, I listen to a ton of comedians' podcasts, and like that whole thing. It's like when people meet them, and they're just like, "Hey, you're a funny guy. Tell a joke. You're a comedian. Tell, tell a joke." Tell a joke. It's like, bro, just. <laughs> How insulting is that, you know? Right. <laughs> All right, guys, this episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. 
So at Best Bud CBD store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service. So everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, uh, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. Are you a fan of dog parks? Well, how about drinking? Because at Canine Social, you can quite literally do both. Located in Jacksonville's Riverside neighborhood, Canine Social offers both indoor and outdoor dog parks with plenty of space for your fur babies to socialize and exercise. Canine Social also has a wide array of local and regionally brewed craft beers on tap, as well as kombucha, nitro coffee, and wine if beer just isn't your thing, like me. Uh, they also offer unparalleled dog training programs with the best in-class trainers of Jet Set University and luxury boarding services as well. Be sure to head to their website at caninesocial.com to find out all the info you need to be sure you and your pup have the best experience available at Canine Social. All right, guys, I want to take a second to talk to you about my favorite music store in Jacksonville. This is Mock Shop Music Exchange. It's a place for true gearheads. They work with some of the most boutique pedal companies on the market, which for someone like me is super important. I love supporting smaller brands, but I also like being able to create my own unique sound. And with the variety of boutique brands these guys work with, it's almost certain you'll find that sound. They not only carry an assortment of pedals, amps, and guitars, they also offer top-notch gear repair with everyone's favorite tech, Mikey. These guys have come through for me in a pinch more than on a few occasions, and I won't spend my money anywhere else. So make sure you guys check out Mock Shop Music Exchange in the Murray Hill neighborhood of Jacksonville. You will not regret it. Super knowledgeable, amazing gear. Check it out and enjoy the experience. I, um, I know we kind of talked about it last time. We definitely talked about it last time, but nobody else gets to hear it. So I'd like to uh, kind of go like dive back into how you got involved with the Kill Tony band and all those guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if I remember correctly, Joe Rogan moved here first. Right. And and then he invited the other guys. And it was it was during pandemic so LA was like locked all the way down. So so yeah, being able to go somewhere and do your thing with less restrictions, I'm sure sounded very appealing. And so uh Tony and Red Band came shortly after Joe, you know, after Joe just like inviting them and telling them like Austin's pretty great. I remember when Joe got here, he made it a point to like go and check out Gary like pretty, pretty soon after he got here. There was like this whole thing where I like saw several posts on Instagram where it was just like, yeah, Joe Rogan came out, you know. So when, you know, and Joe, Joe obviously talks about being a fan of Gary's, so I'm sure they like spent some time talking and all that. Um, but when Tony got here, his band didn't come with him. And I think because he was connected to Gary, Gary's band through Joe, he, uh, he probably reached out. I, I can only guess. But someone reached out to John to like put the band together. And John grabbed, uh, grabbed Michael Gonzalez to play percussion and a local guy named Jimmy Blazer to play bass. 
and a local drummer, Michael Hale. And so it was this like keys, bass, drums, and percussion thing. And in, not very long into that, the drummer and the bass player both got COVID and they were out one week. John and I had had a residency with another group right up until the pandemic hit and like hit full swing and shut everything down. So I feel lucky that like I was still kind of on John's mind because he was, I was one of the guys that he called the sub and D Madness was also on that residency with us. And D Madness was the other guy that he called the sub. And then that was, that was it. They never, they never changed the lineup after that. The gig wasn't, wasn't paid in the beginning. Right. And I had never, I had never heard the podcast. So I, I had no idea what I was getting into. And John, John only gave like tidbits of information. He's just like, yo, you want to do this thing with me? It's a comedy podcast. Uh, I got D Madness and Michael Gonzalez. It's going to be pretty fun. And, you know, we're at the tail end of the pandemic. So I haven't played with John in like <laughs> the better part of a year, if not more than a year. And I was just like down, you know, I was like, yes, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and then I can't remember if he told me like, we're not getting paid, but it's cool. Or, or if it was like after the first gig where he was like, do you want to come back next week? And I was like, yeah, is there like, is there, are we, we're getting paid? Like what's going on? And he was like, no, but they're, you know, they're, they're looking for sponsors for the band. And, um, those guys from CM Smokehouse had catered the thing. So like at the end of the show, I'm just up in the green room with like famous people and really killing food. And the gig was fun and everyone's funny. And I was like, man, this is, this is a really interesting thing to be a part of. And I'm not doing anything else on Monday nights. So like, I'm going to stick around for a little bit. And then to find out that they were looking for sponsors and trying to get us paid i was like man if this is going to become a paid thing then like yeah count me in i'll stick around yeah and then i didn't even like go i didn't even go check out the youtube right yeah. away. <laughs> that's so funny so i was just like you know i was just kind of like yeah it's crazy that he can just pull these like super famous people in here i don't know what's going on there and then you know i get on youtube and it's like you know, like, what? Hundreds of thousands of views in a week? Right. Like, what is this thing, you know? What am I What am I doing here? Um, and then, yeah, they they didn't get Screwball right away. They got this, uh, this vodka company for a minute. And um, that didn't, that didn't work out. And then, then Tony got canceled. And I was like, well, right. <laughs> you know, it's fun while it lasted, you know, all six months or whatever it was before that happened. And then Vulcan picked him up and we got a new sponsor. And because of that, we got a raise. And that brings us to where we are now. And uh, man, it's just getting it's just getting bigger and bigger all the time. It's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, you guys uh, are moving to Rogan's Club soon, right? If, I mean, as yeah. far as the last episode goes, I don't know if you guys are there by now, but because you guys are two weeks ahead, right? Yeah, we're two weeks yeah. ahead. We're not um, we're not in Rogan's Club yet. Last I heard, they were supposed to be ready by about this time, but they're they're still not. And I I don't I haven't heard an update recently. Yeah. Well, and I don't know how how far out do y'all release 
Uh, oh, we're about two weeks how ahead. How far after the fact? Okay. We're, we're about two weeks ahead uh, as well on our end, yeah. I feel comfortable telling you this because I don't want like the guest from last night to get out before the show gets out, okay. <laughs> basically. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah, last night it was Roseanne. Oh, no shit. And it's just like, man, like, you know, I've, because of this gig, I've met, I've met Ron White, I've met Joe Rogan, I've met Steve-O, you know. It's so this, fucking this wild, is, man. This is just a wild thing to be a part of. I had to, like, I had to really, like, establish some protocols for when the guests show up, like, a few months back, because I had, within the past couple of years just become like hip to tom papa thanks to like oh, the yeah. netflix instagram account he's great and man, just yeah. like he won me over like right out of the gate like the first post i saw with him i was just like this guy is hilarious um and so i became a, a fan pretty immediately and then one night he walks in the green room you know we don't find out who the guests are going to be until like they show up tom papa walks in and I looked him right in the face and I just said, oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> and like, I just like, it was one of those moments where like, the first thing that went through my head was like, bro, keep it together. You know, like, this is just another human being. You know what I mean? Right, right. Because I just don't have a lot of experience just like running into people who not only are like pretty well known throughout the world but also like people that i like you know the stuff that they do right you know it's it's one thing when it's just like yeah it's like oh yeah you know it's uh it's whoever the fuck and it's like yeah they're super famous like that's that's cool but it's another thing when it's like man i really like what this person does and now they're standing right in front of me and uh you know, yeah, I said, oh, shit. And then I was like, okay, you can't, you can't do that. And I was like, you know, I just like tried to like, you know, like reset and then just shake his hand and tell him nice to meet you. Um, but yeah, I left that night going like, okay, dude, like, what can you do to get your mind right? Because like this, this can't happen anymore, basically. I tried to have a conversation with, with Joe when we were still at uh, when we were still at Antones, and it just like it didn't go well at all. Yeah, <laughs> I had I had like nothing to say, and I interrupted his conversation with Brian, and it was just like it was just about as awkward as it could possibly be. And at the end of it, Joe was like, "Hey, Brian, like it's been good talking to you. I gotta go." He just like <laughs> cut me off and left. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So I'm really. I'm really bad at doing the hang with like super famous people. I need to like I need to work on this. Yeah. And so now like yeah, I can I can like shake hands and say hello without making a complete ass of myself. Um but I'm st I still haven't figured out how to like talk to anybody. It's just Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean there's there's like a it's hard to desensitize yourself to that man cuz it's like these are people that have huge influence in their circles and beyond. And especially when you're a fan of what they do. Um, yeah. So like their work has impacted you in some kind of way and you just want to make a good impression. So that pressure, yeah. again, it's, it's, like, it's like playing a gig, you know, it's like, especially like a hard one for the first time where you're just like, I just have to like, 
I, I just want to make the best impression that I can because this is like my my first, you know, this is the first impression. So like, and then you put that pressure on yourself, and then you just bomb, you know. And it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, and that that's a, that's a bad feeling, uh, and yeah, yeah, for sure. It, and it, so I guess it's just as anything else, you just become more exposed to it, I guess, right? And you start to yeah. kind of get desensitized before you know it. Like you're able to like hang out with these people and not feel like you're you're like the other around them, you know? Right. Well, and not only that, but like the only thing I really do is like like kind of play music and, and practice a lot and like hang out with my wife and kids. Like I don't I don't keep up with anything. Right. You know? Like I can't <laughs> like I can't like I can't even talk about the the Super Bowl coherently with anybody. I don't Same. even know which two teams were there, you know. And so and like Joe and Tony, like those guys keep up with all kinds of stuff. And and we don't exactly align politically. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. So, yeah. so, that, so that's so that's out too, you know. So yeah. I'm just like, you know what? Like when those guys when when they show up, like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shut up. And I, you know, I've kind of used the the excuse of like we're we're playing music for your entrance, you know, like what song would you like to hear, if any, as my, that's my one, my one go-to for just like any level of like engagement with, with a given guest. And, and some guests are cooler than others, but I, I still haven't like really got it dialed in and all of my mistakes keep happening with Tom Papa. And it's, it's just rough cause he's the one that I think I like the most. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he was talking to Red Band and, and I was and I walked up and I was like, "Hey man, sorry to interrupt. I just, you know, I wanted to know like if there's a song that you'd like to hear. You know, I can't I can't even remember what song we played last time. And I think that's where I fucked up. Is like I should have reviewed, you know, or something. But I just asked him if there was a song that he wanted to hear when he came up. And he was like, "Oh, you know, Dealer's Choice." And I was like, "All right." And he he goes put some thought into it. <laughs> that's so funny. And I was like, I was like, all right, like that's a good roast, but obviously he's kind of annoyed with the way I handled this situation. So like, I'm still, I'm still trying to dial it in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's weird from, from their perspective too, I would imagine. Right. Because like, these are people that have been, that have, you know, they ate shit for years. Right. And like, we're, yeah. they came up, and probably probably were in similar situations to you where they felt like they fell short in front of an idol or 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 you know a peer or whatever it might be and um you know now have reached a level of success and have all these people that don't know how to act around them or they're kissing their ass or whatever and to them they're just like don't be fucking weird bro i'm a we yeah. i'm a fucking guy i'm a dude like what are you doing you right. know what i mean or, or it, yeah. so you know, it's but it's hard. I, I met Johnny Depp when I was a kid, or not a kid, when I was like 19 or whatever, 17. Wow. Because my he's from South Florida and he played in in the in the you know circuit down there. And my dad and my mom were very good friends with him. You know, for I mean, I mean, my dad still know to this day still you know knows him. So, what wow. uh, at that time it was like uh, uh, you know we were, they were doing some kind of reunion show for. For the South Florida music scene uh, of like the 70s and 80s, so this like big booking agent had passed away, so they were doing like a big thing for her. Um, this is like back in 2006 or something, 
And uh, so they flew in uh, Johnny to do the thing because he was playing in a band called The Kids. And they were pretty big in South Florida at that time before he moved to LA. And so obviously the club got, I mean, it was like a 2000 cap club. It got packed out uh, because they knew Johnny wow. Depp was coming to it. And I got to, you know, play. It was like one of my first gigs ever. I got to like play on that stage. It was unnecessary and unreal. But um, anyways, he was hanging, he was hanging out in the, you know, on, the, on this balcony, kind of overlooking the club. And uh, I knew he was up there. So I walked up and he was very nice to me or whatever, because he knows I'm, I'm my dad's kid. But I just, I had no idea what to say to the guy. I was just like, yeah, so, um, you know, you like being back here or whatever, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's just, <laughs> just trying to like get a conversation in. And yeah, so I, I get that feeling where you're just like, I, I don't remember what his response was. I think he was be, trying to be nice to me. Again, he knew the relationship, but it was just one of those things where you're like, fuck man, I wish I had more to say in this moment. Like, but then again, right. like if you're gonna approach any stranger for like no particular reason, like what do you say in that moment? And they're really, unless you're like just super socially, like, you know, adequate, you don't really know. And I'm somebody who's not super socially adequate. So <laughs> for me, I, I never know what to just say to somebody. Usually somebody has to come to me and start the conversation, you know? So yeah. I don't know, I, I get where you're coming from, but for, from, from, from their perspective, it must also be wild to be like, these people don't know how to act around me and that's insane, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've I've even started like rethinking the idea of like just bothering them to 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 ask what song they want to hear. Although it's like it's interesting because that conversation kind of can go either way. We had uh, we had Dead Mouse on. Oh yeah, was, yeah, that's right. I remember that? Time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his name's Joel. And you know, I I working on it right i'm i'm doing my like social shed and uh i found there there was just the right moment there was a lull in the conversation and i was just like yo man you know like what do you think if we play like one of your tunes tonight as your entrance um and he was just kind of like i you know i don't know i like i guess i don't know and then uh somehow he got the idea to have us play like a nickelback tune and, and I didn't even know this, but he had this funny little beef with Chad Kroger of Nickelback for a while. No shit. On Twitter. <laughs> oh, my God. And so, like, when he said, like, why don't you guys play a Nickelback tune, just about everyone already knew that that was a joke. And I thought it was hilarious because Nickelback annoys me. You know, like, I can't stand Nickelback. Right. <laughs> 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 But, like, in that moment, we found out that Michael Gonzalez unironically likes Nickelback, like, on purpose. Why did I know that that was going to be the case? That's so funny. <laughs> well, in retrospect, I'm like, why did I not know that was yeah. going to be the case? Um, but, yeah, like, we found out because, like, as soon as Joel said it, Mike started like rattling off options. Oh my <laughs> god! Like, oh yeah, what if we did this one or this one? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, bro, do you like? Are you a fucking Nickelback fan? And he was like, dude, absolutely. I was like, what? Yeah, it just fried my circuits. But then we got into like kind of the reason behind the joke with Joel, and it was that he had this Twitter beef with Chad Kroger a little while back. Um. 
and he he said he used to just like go at that guy all the time. He said, "Hey," he said he 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 did this tweet one time. It was like, "Hey, there's this email going around that uh, that has a link in it, and it says if you click the link, you'll get a free." Nickelback album, don't click it. They will send you a free Nickelback <laughs> album. <laughs> That's so fucked. <laughs> was there like any reasoning for, for him trying to say that? Or it's just like he just thinks they're corny and doesn't like them? I, I can't remember. It, like, yeah, it might just be as simple as that. Oh like he just, God. he doesn't like their music, you know, and he can, he can kind of do whatever he wants on Twitter because he's dead mouth. Right, right. But then they, he he told us that like they ended up attending like a a party together that they that they had to fly to like they ended up being on the plane together and there was this this weird awkward situation but they if I remember correctly they kind of buried the hatchet a little bit like they kind of like just kind of like hung out and it was cool but like he still doesn't like their music and it's still this this funny thing i was gonna say it must have been a real fucking shallow grave then because <laughs> he's playing nickelback on the kill tony show <laughs> <laughs> and that was the thing it was like he uh it was just like a very it was just very much an inside joke for just like the crew at that point yeah you know yeah and it was it was like a super fun moment that only came about because we asked him like what song do you want for your entrance? And so, yeah, it's like, I never, I never really know how that question is going to go. A lot of people just like, they don't, they don't like care at all. Right. And right. Michael Gonzalez does a really good job of kind of keeping up with everybody. Like he's seen everybody's specials and he's, he knows about the podcast they're on. And so like a lot of times he can be like, oh yeah, this is their, this is the theme song from their podcast. So we should just do that. That's cool. Which is, which is really nice to like just have him on deck for those conversations. But then, yeah, a lot of guys like have no idea and don't really care. Like, do something fun. Like, ah, I don't give a shit. Right. Like, do whatever. Right. You know, there's obvious ones. Like with Roseanne, it's like, yeah, just do that that slow blues thing from the show. Right. Right. But yeah, some of them just like it's like, man, I don't know, I don't know what to do for this guy. This is. <laughs> What's the uh, what's the relationship like with the uh, some of the regulars on the show? I know you mentioned David Lucas earlier, but what about like Hans Kim and and William Montgomery? Like, do you guys have relationships with them at all? And if so, I'm I'm very curious to know what that dynamic is like. Because talk about fucking characters, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, Mike Gonzalez and John Dees are both just really good at that hang. Yeah. Like it just kind of blows me mind. They're they're comfortable. They've got stuff to talk about. Like every time a guest comes that's been on the show before, they'll see Mike and smile and just be like, "What's up, bro? Like, have you been?" Like they're already greeting this kid like family. And every time I see it happen, I'm just like, "Bro, how did you, how did you do that?" Yeah. You know? <laughs> but the same goes for like the regulars. Mike's Mike's really good at hanging out with them. I feel like William and Hans and David all like me. Hans and I kind of share like a kindred spirit. Like we'll 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 both be the one who like when the green room is too crowded, we'll both be the ones standing in the corner on the like the back side. Like when the door opens, it'll block us from view. Uh, I see. That's where we we're just both that kind of guy. Yeah. I think that's like just the little like the little thing that we share. But like we don't we don't talk a lot. William 
William is so brilliant. I I feel like I probably overwhelm him with with compliments. It's like at the end of every show, I'm just like, dude, like that was fucking incredible. We did like a New Year's thing, and I got to hear like a full bit from him. It, it's taken me way too long for this to sink in, but just like he is constantly trying out new material. All those little note cards that he's reading off of on the show, that's like he literally just wrote a bunch of that shit. Right. That guy is just, he's just constantly creating, and it's it's crazy to see. And I I didn't put two and two together until we were on this New Year's show with him, and I got to watch like a full bit by him, you know, prepared material. And it's just like, this guy is hilarious. This guy is incredible. How different and is I it never, than his like material that he's doing on the spot, like on Kill Tony? The, the difference is like the presentation, because all of it, like in, just in terms of like raw hilariousness, it's always like, he's always pretty on. But with, with his prepared material... It's, you know, it's just smoother. You can tell, like, he knows where he's going to go next. It's not obvious, but there's a, there's a smoothness to it that you don't get with, like, with improvising, basically. Right, right, right. And so, yeah, I guess every time I run into him in the green room, I'm just like, man, that was, that was amazing. And he just kind of, he's just kind of like, thank you, thank you. And then, like, that's always where it ends. Yeah. And then with David, David, uh, David loves music a lot so that's kind of the thing we end up talking about the most together is just like he comes out to a lot of our gigs and then he'll he'll talk about you know so and so from from whatever gig you know that we had the night before he'll, or the week before he'll just he'll say yeah who was that dude that sat in on whatever instrument and it's like oh that's that's this guy he's like man i didn't like the way he played like that dude's pocket is wrong for that song <laughs> that's so funny and i'm like i'm like yeah bro like it's like he kind of meets me on the one level that i have anything to like talk about so it's it's a lot smoother with david and we even have like mutual friends out in la he knows a bass player buddy of mine so so with, I think with David, that's the that's the easiest one. Well, it's cool that like he ha he has like the awareness to like meet you on that level, or like cares enough to meet you on that level. You know, like sometimes yeah. people kind of shrug that off. It's like, well, all you all you care about is music. So then, like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about anything. Then it's like, well, we can talk about music, or like maybe I can try and yeah. like understand the things that you like if, we, if you give me the time of day or something. You know, right? You know? Exactly. Well, and at this point, like. It's just, I think it's so well known within the whole crew that like all this guy Matt does is like practice guitar and play gigs. Like he's just a lot. <laughs> well, I will say, man, from watching from a, from the outsider's perspective, you know, I watch the show. I haven't watched last night's episode yet, but I watch the show every single week, and I think that there's a um, there's an endearing quality or there's like it just there's there's a love for you i think on that show that's expressed oh, yeah. when i watch it you know i'm like yeah like the, 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 like tony's joke is like always matt speaks once every six episodes and he's telling the guy to tune the guitar or something or or don't cup yeah. the mic or whatever it is and it's yeah. like uh i think that there's like i think that you know the the, the viewers and the people involved in the show for, from my perspective seem to have uh they, they they appreciate you know what you bring to the table and everything you know yeah 
Yeah, it's definitely felt well, especially from Tony. He's, you know, among other things, one of the things that he's really good at is just like showing appreciation for the people that are in his circle, like showing loyalty and and, and you know uh, a, a very open willingness to like go to bat for you, you know. Yeah, and uh, and it, yeah, and it means a lot. Um, I feel like it took a little while for him to show that side to me. But the, the farther out we get from that idea, the more I'm starting to realize that some of that was just my own, my own perception. Like there were, there were people in the circle who like got a lot of very clear like praise and, and adulation from him. And, and I, I carried a little bit of jealousy for that for a little while. I was just like, you know, why the, why the fuck did he make the nether hour, the, you know, the, the after party band and you know like why is everybody like like sucking these guys dicks you know like i'm here every week like playing my ass off for this show and no one's and it's like dude that's like that's in your head like he shouts you out literally every week and just because he doesn't walk up to you and and say the same things that he does to them like that doesn't mean that he doesn't notice and uh it kind of took it took me a little bit too long to realize like the ways that he goes to bat for me personally. But man, once he started coming out to see sketch and to, to see the thing that like John Dees and I were doing at the gallery on Monday nights after the show, he really started being very vocal about just how appreciative he is that we're in his crew. And, uh, it was, warmly received obviously but it was also a bit of a wake-up call for me i was like oh man like you're just in your head about this you're so you know i've got my own trauma from just being in the music industry right and i i have to remember that each new case like should be a clean slate and i shouldn't be like looking at that you know with my my jaded you know well, I've been doing this for 15 years and no one knows who I am, like perspective. It's like, dude, like you're still able to make a living just playing the guitar. Like being famous is like a byproduct of a very like niche thing. And just because no one knows who you are doesn't mean that you don't have a career or that you have the right to like not be grateful for what is going on for you. Right. So try not to like try not to carry that so much and don't like put that perspective on, on people who like, you just don't know what's going on in their mind. You don't know unless until the moment comes where they look at you and say like, Hey, this is what I think. Like you don't know what they're thinking. So don't, don't force any of your jaded perspectives on them. It's totally, it only, all, all that does is sour your own, your own energy. Yeah. And ultimately kind of, uh, ruins the relationship because you're projecting that onto somebody and then that comes through yeah. and then you know it's all that stuff and somebody like uh tony henchcliffe and you know anybody that's kind of the head of their own little uh industry you know i think that they value the i mean they have to value those things i mean he had a wildly successful podcast when he was in la and then moved and then i don't know the full story but i would imagine offered the uh offered that to the band that he was playing with and everybody said no and i'm sure they had their reasons 
but then he comes to this new place and then has to reassemble and figure out like how he's gonna get people paid and then like goes to war i'm sure to get you guys yeah. paid you know what i mean and then and and then the, the especially when you're playing for free for however long you did and he recognizes that a hundred percent you know absolutely and it's probably just like you know however he shows he shows but i'm sure that he appreciates that on a level that he probably can't even communicate properly just because that's 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 a real hard thing to to show to people without sounding like you're just burying them in in gratitude you know what i mean right it's like right. so i would imagine that he does feel a lot for you guys you know yeah yeah he definitely does and it's it's been it's been a thing that like i've been able to see more of lately and it's helped me a lot you know i talked about just this jaded perspective that i've taken on from like from my own trauma of just like trying to navigate the music industry and of late a lot of just like what i get from my relationship with him has helped me kind of open my eyes to how like i can let go of some of that you know like i can i can work through some of that and figure out how to just like be grateful for my journey for exactly what it is you know and how it it despite how it doesn't look like i thought it would when i was younger it's actually been like really great for me personally and probably wouldn't have been this great if it had gone the way i th i thought i wanted it to go for sure man for sure it's been it's been good oh yeah well uh, you guys want to do some bottom line news yes yeah. let's fucking do it <laughs> What do we got, Chris? All right, let's go ahead and find something that we like. What about $6 Bruce Springsteen tickets? Yeah, let's talk about that. What? Yeah, I thought it was like historically high ticket prices for him. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what are you fucking talking about? Seriously, like thousands of dollars. Oh, wait. And now they're down to six. Oh, I thought you meant the six dollars was historically high for him. No, was, that's fucking <laughs> no, wild. I, you might not like how the did, guy, but Jesus Christ, no, dude, I love the boss. How did get they get here. down to six? How did they get down right, to six? That, we're about that's to learn. mind blowing to me. Let's find out. Uh, it says the reason for it is there that uh, on Ticketmaster they're setting pricing floors, so you can't resell your ticket less than this minimum value set. Um, and it says, as a result, the least expensive tickets were 60 bucks before fees. Um, and then it says, tickets for the same section and row on a different website, Mega Seats, could be found for 7 bucks. So I'm trying to see why Wait, these price is, yeah. floors on Ticketmaster are causing it to be so low on other places. In, in multiple cities or a specific city? Like in, what is Tulsa. in Tulsa. In Tulsa. I guess the rent must be real low for the venues in Tulsa right now. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to Tulsa. Fucking uh, JJ Kale was dope, but it's <laughs> about all they got. My wife and I, like I said, we go on coffee runs. We go to this this spot in town. It's just a it's a food truck, but he does coffee. Shout out to to him. His his food truck's called Terrible Love. And this this guy just this guy makes such fantastic coffee it like i can't i can't go anywhere else anymore really uh yeah like the best cup cappuccino of of my life wow but uh he he was you know the, the boss was coming to austin and he was trying to score tickets and he was just talking about how like it was really hard to do because he didn't want to pay you know whatever the like the really 
good seats are going for, which is outrageous. With with Bruce, it's like a like you said, it's like a thousand dollars or something something crazy. And he was he was scouring the internet for <laughs> for deals and I can't remember what he ended up paying, but it was definitely nowhere near six dollars. To hear that there are six dollars six dollar tickets available there, anywhere is kind of frying my circuits. Right, so. Gotta be a catch here, I'm sure. I'm curious if the tickets are being purchased by a third party ticket ticketing company and then because like Bruce Springsteen's got to make his money on that, right? He's not going to, uh, he's not going to not, he's not going to sell a ticket for $6. He's not going to do it, right? So yeah. like yeah. somebody's got to buy that ticket and then resell it for $6 and take the hit. And then how are they recouping their their income on that? Yeah, so it's yeah. The, uh, it says resale uh, price floors harm consumers twice over. Um, first, they keep discounted tickets from being available to fans who would otherwise not be able to go. Uh, second, they harm sellers who just want to recoup at least part of their money when they can't go. Fans shouldn't be the ones that pay the price when Live Nation and clients fail to anticipate lower than expected demands for events. So does this kick in when like, like, uh, like it's just mm. underselling or something like that? Um, I have no idea. I gotta figure out what pricing floors do. Um, this is new to me. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's wild. Um, all right, well, what else we got? Yeah. Uh, best day jobs for musicians. Oh yeah, let's hear that one. I would love to hear that one. <laughs> Woo! Here we go. <laughs> you do you have a day job, Matt? No. No. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, freelance writer. Okay, <laughs> so uh, another uh, another fucking no, grind. No, okay. the next one's even better. Oh, yeah, the next one's good, Anton. This it's should, music should store up. employees. Yeah. Incorrect. I can definitely vouch for that one. Uber or Lyft driver. That's probably pretty solid. Uh, private music teacher. I don't know if I can vouch for that one either. Well, okay. Virtual assistant. That, I mean, that one's the go-to. Right? I mean, it works. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. Best side. Well, just because you can create your own right. schedule and you can, and then technically, like, usually people aren't going to want to take lessons past like 6 p.m. or something. So you can still gig at night and, yeah. you know, right. all those things. But like, and the whole idea of, of, you know, teaching what you know. Right. It's like, yeah. it's still, it's still music, you know, so it's like, it's within that, that realm. Yeah. Right. Restaurant server, also incorrect because you have to work nights and weekends a lot of the time, unless you can find like a breakfast or brunch spot. But even then, it's like you got to be up early as hell and you're gigging all night. It's just like, yeah. See, this is how I know this is bullshit. It says, yes, you may have heard horror stories, but if you can put up with it, this day job's a great option. You'll probably make minimum wage, but you'll make lots of money and tips if you're friendly and attentive. Name me 10 friendly and attentive musicians. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Although, you know, in places Absolutely. like New, like New York and L.A., a lot of those people like, you know, gigging full time the way that we do is not an option for them because that 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 ecosystem doesn't really maybe New York more than L.A., but like that ecosystem doesn't thrive in the same way it does in most cities. So for them, yeah. you know, working restaurant jobs is really like the best option. I can tell you one of the worst side hustles for a musician that I had. What's that? Actually, I could tell you a couple. What's that? When I... uh. When I first got to Austin, I spent one summer working for a moving company. <laughs> really? Ooh. And just the attempt to balance, you know, like gigging until, you know, 2 a.m. and getting to bed 
you know, by 3 a.m. if you're lucky and then waking up at 6 a.m. to go to go work for a local moving company, which, you know, you got to realize that if it's a local moving company, you're only moving like the richest people in town. Right. You know, people with like normal sized furniture don't just move from one spot in town to another spot in town that often. Right. Right. So like... (laughs) So like if you're hiring a moving company with an 18 foot box truck, like then none of your furniture is like shorter than like, you know, 20 feet long and weighing, you know, like, so three hours of sleep, driving huge trucks, lifting insanely heavy pieces of furniture through houses with just finely crafted <laughs> banisters and and windows and like stuff that you just can't like you can't touch it you can't touch it so like if if the fucking armoire that you're trying to carry up the stairs bumps the wall you're fucked right right and you're trying to do this job on no sleep only to like finish the big moves at 10 p.m to show up late to your gig and do it all over again right from 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 like 11 to to to, to 6 a.m it was just like i don't know how I didn't die. I can't imagine doing a that, fucking moving job summer. like that, man. While while trying plus, to gig, that's, dude, that's plus it's in in Austin in the summer where the like the weather ne- the temperature never dips below a hundred degrees. Yeah, totally, man. I mean that that shit's fucking wild, and that it's, it's and like the labor is just super intensive as well. So it's just yeah. like yeah, I mean, and then you gotta like figure out how to practice and like do other things on top of that. Like there's just like no way, man. I did. I, it was, I did a landscaping job uh, when I uh, down in Miami for like that lasted maybe a month tops, and but that, those were like you know twelve hour days. Um, yeah. And I can't. Like you know, I'd get home and there was no way to do anything. I wasn't like writing. I wasn't practicing. I wasn't even be able to gig. It was just so because like, you're out in the fucking sun in you know Miami again, like you know one hundred percent humidity, fucking like a hundred degree yeah. weather. 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day. It's just like there's no fucking way you can do anything else after that. Yeah, at the end of a day like that, you don't even have enough energy to get ready for bed. You just kind of like walk in the door and you fall asleep wherever you fucking land. Exactly. And then you start over again. Exactly. Yeah, so those are some of the worst side hustles to have if you're a musician. This uh, digital music news doesn't know shit about shit. Uh, Yeah, music and music stores suck too, bro, because you're literally in there at 7 a.m. opening a store up, and then you got to deal with people who have no idea how to play instruments just wailing on them all day. By the time you get out of there, <laughs> like, your ears are so exhausted. And, like, also you've been treated like total shit because people think that, like, you're not even a human when you work in those places. Like, you're just some kind of subspecies that you can shit all yeah. over. It's just, it's it's such a terrible job for a musician. Um, and, and, and I don't know about y'all, but I'm just, I'm not a salesman, like, at yeah, it's like hard enough to figure out how to tell people like, oh, you should listen to my stuff. It's good. Like I can I can barely bring myself to tell someone to listen to my stuff because it's good. Believe even though I know it's good. Be, you know, believe it or not, it's easier to sell gear than it is your own shit because like <laughs> gear you know works. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's like I know this is good. My own music. I don't really know. Nobody's told me it's good yeah, yet. Proof's so. not in the pudding on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But well, even with that, it's just like. Like, yeah, sure, the gear works, but I always feel like as a salesman, like I am, I know that I don't like having someone try to sell me something. Totally. So I can't, I can't get past that perspective. Like, 
yeah, I don't want to bother you, you know, but uh, this guitar is really great. And it's like, yeah, check it out if you want, you know, like you might, you might like it. You might, that I was, know, a- you know, and then your manager's just like, dude, can you make a fucking sale? Yeah. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, I feel like I'm intruding. The thing that you keep in mind, especially the big box stores, because I have, I have the same, I have the same problem. Like, I don't like to be annoyed and being sold on shit at music stores especially because i know more than most of what the salesperson does who's trying to sell me on it but like the thing to keep in mind is that most people that walk in there aren't musicians they're just trying to buy something for their child or they're a hobbyist that just wants to like and they want to be talked to and like sold on something that's majority of people now it gets a little rocky sometimes when you're dealing with musicians or people that that have to buy something for their child that think that the whole entire music industry is a joke or just like instruments are toys and they're just right. doing it to, for like a, like a hobby for their kid to have in school or something. Those people are the worst people to try and sell to. And musicians suck too because like, again, the same attitude that I have, they have towards you when you're in there. So it's just, you know, yeah, it's that, yeah. that meme right there. I know more than you do, yeah. <laughs> it's Ron Swanson. <laughs> Love that guy. And there was another one that I saw up there, another another bottom line news that I saw that was like about uh, uh, Spotify adopting the TikTok. <laughs> oh, you saw that one? I thought we were getting away from TikTok. I do want to get away from TikTok, but I am curious as a Spotify adopting the uh, same GUI, though. It's interesting. A podcaster or a 14-year-old who wants to? Whoa. Well, I think it's an interesting thing for, for a musician know. to know about, yeah, you know? Cool. All right, let's figure yeah, it. like when, when does that go into effect? And uh, how does it go into effect? Like, is it just right. streaming music or is it doing videos or what? So they kind of, I guess, laid out a demo of it last year. Um, it's testing it. Um, no further news to share on plans. That's cool. <laughs> Vertical homepage uh, could be part of the effort to attract the younger 18 to 24 uh, crowd. One in three Spotify users in that demographic. Um, so basically, they're just uh, they're just trying to get their what is it GUI uh, to look a little better. Yeah, I'm just curious as to are see, they going to be doing videos or are they just is it? I, it I seems like it's mainly the homepage. So it seems like most of the oh. Spotify will have that. But at the homepage, I guess you'll have some sort of page where you can scroll through stuff. Okay. I, I almost wonder if it's like the Discover Weekly playlist just in a scrollable form. That could be cool. So like, you know, you got this. Oh, here's this new music for you this week. You scroll through and go, oh, this is cool. This is cool. Right. I don't know. I mean, at the, you know, at the risk of sounding like an old man, it's like if they... If they really wanted to make an improvement to their to their app, it would just and they have actually they've they've done a little bit of this, but it's just like I want the search engine to work as well as like YouTube or Google, where it's like I can literally just pick a piece of a lyric and get that song because like I can't always remember what I what the name of that's, the thing is. That's true, man. I didn't really think that about I want to hear and like, man, for a while there with Spotify and they've improved it. Uh, you know, I guess that bears mentioning as many times as possible, but they've improved it. But for a while there, it was like, you couldn't even put the name of the song and the artist and expect any results. Right. Right. And so it's like, yeah, like guys, I I get it. You're trying to make the app more appealing, but like, I need that search engine to work better than like 
anything. Yeah. Like, that's what. Yeah, it sounds like this is mainly just saying trying to make it more appealing to 18 to 24. And it says uh, vid- has already invested heavily in video initiatives. So a new scrolling feed highlighting videos, audiobooks, and podcasts isn't too surprising, which is kind of in- kind of interesting. Yeah, they, yeah, they've already started doing with with Rogan's podcast. He has full video on there. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Here's another way to think about it, though, is that Spotify might be trying to adapt to be something that it's not, and it might end up doing yeah. more harm than good. Like, why yeah. are you trying to compete with platforms like TikTok and you know, ultimately Instagram and YouTube and these video and picture place uh, based platforms? that that's not what you do. No one knows you for doing that. You're trying to enter into a new realm that's already super competitive with the, the major platforms. Oh, man, all of them are... Tra- I, I don't know, man. Why are we videoing this podcast right now? Because YouTube, not because of Spotify. I would never expect anybody to watch a video on Spotify for this. I mean, that's why Spotify wants videos, is just to get people that are interested in TikTok and interested in YouTube, over to, uh, more people over... I know, over I know what the impulse is. I'm just curious... I'm not even saying that they're wrong for doing it. I'm just saying, like, what if the backlash could be that your customer, your existing customer base does not know you for doing that thing? And then you're going to, you run the risk, I think, of confusing your existing base into, to compete in a world where it's not supposed to compete, to be competing in. And then you run the risk of losing them, possibly. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, there's I, a. I saw Netflix is doing. I, I was on it on my phone the other day for the first time in years, and they're integrating us like a, a reels thing too, just for mobile. That makes sense for Netflix, though. It's a I, video. It's it's a movie based or video based platform. Know, but it's sure you get like a little trailer, mm-hmm. and so maybe that makes sense. But you could all. I mean, I guess you could see that working for podcasts and stuff, maybe. But it's like. I go there for completely de- uh, not light scrolling, you know. There, I go there to commit to watching a thing. Yeah, but you're also on your phone too, and that's, that's true. you know. Uh, so I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Listen, I like listening to new music. It wouldn't be like that. Wouldn't be too weird if I was on a homepage and I could literally just scroll. And as I was like looking for new stuff, if it just played like a 15 second like thing as I was like scrolling through it, that wouldn't be too thing. Okay, I like that. Let me check out this album. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah. yeah. That that could totally be well, a thing too, especially if Tinder like you know that would be hilarious. Tinder for Spotify. Tinder for Spotify. It's just like, <laughs> like and you know they'll do that too. They already have like playlists where they're trying to be like here's your matches for this week, and you'll literally oh, go left and right. Maybe that's, that's a better totally option. a thing. Maybe like, they should try to adopt the Tinder model. Dude, there's got to be there's, that app already has I mean, it has to exist already. It has to. I I need like a second. Spotify account for any of that to work because my algorithm is so <laughs> fucked up. Yo, I use your, all your the music I listen music. to is just music that I have to like learn. Yeah, yeah. break music for gigs or music that I have to learn for gigs. It's just like none of this shit is actually shit that I. Listen I, I worked to. at churches for years and used my personal Spotify for house oh, music, man. and so for years my my algorithm was just trash. I swear, it was just Dude. all Hillsong, and I was that was it was awful. We uh we were at a, a last year. Uh, um, tour, or maybe at the end of 2021 or something, I was at this club that we play at a lot, uh, 1904 Music Hall, and like the owner was there. Shout out to Jason Honeycutt and like a bunch of other people, and uh, everyone was like reviewing their most played songs on Spotify that year, like their type of music and all this shit, and like they yeah. all have like this cool stuff and like hip shit, and I'm like sitting there like Red Hot Chili Peppers um, and fucking uh, Justin Timberlake. Uh, and all shit. I was like. 
okay well you know Dude, I, and, at the, fucking uptown funk yeah bro so shit like that and everyone's looking at it like what the fuck am i like, bro this is for break music and for shit that i, that I have to learn i rarely yeah. put on spotify just to like listen to music you know what i mean yeah and if i do it's on a car ride to a gig and it's like you know 20 30 minutes while the rest of the gig for three hours is just playing random shit you know <laughs> yeah so yeah There's, i get that there's also a whole like rant just waiting about how like capitalism ruins art constantly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, like it's like everyone sees TikTok making all this fucking money and now they're just like, okay, well we need to like reshape every other form of the entertainment industry to look like that now so that we can make money too. And it's like, no, you don't. Right. Right, you don't. You'd offer an alternative is is what needs to happen yeah. rather, rather than like, trying to adopt a thing. But like, you know, I don't know. There's you know, there's a, there's an argument to be made on e either side. I'm I'm you know a capitalist, so I believe that capitalism helps you know in some ways uh, drive competition. I think that you know <laughs> creativity. That's fine. Everyone can laugh if they want, but I think no, that, no, no. <laughs> it just later in the edit, we're gonna clip it right there. I think it helps somehow. Like, well, like <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I, I think that there's uh, something you said about competition, competition driving creativity as well. But I think that there is a tipping point sometimes when we, when you know, it has to be on the artist to decide whether or not you're gonna compete at that level. And that's the thing. It's like to me, we have the choice to make. Do we want to try and fit? the narrative that's that's consuming the pop culture or do you try and find the niche where you know you can be your true creative self without having to compete with something that's kind of irrelevant to what you actually want to do right and i think that we can do that um i and i think that, that there will be somebody co that comes out at some point that offer that offers an alternative to the 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 quick 30 second one minute video uh, kind of ecosystem that, that we're living in right now because I do think that music music's gonna have to adapt to there'll be like 30 second songs and then like you know and that'll be an yeah. interesting thing to try and you know either figure out how to write in that style and produce in that style or you just don't adapt to that style and another avenue is created but I don't think that it ultimately negates the other just because the one exists somebody just has to yeah. be like brave enough to take it on you know well, yeah, I mean, and I I admire the the idealism behind your capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> I just I think I think in the same way that I'm like jaded about my you know that I've been jaded about my like music industry career. I I feel I feel very similarly about capitalism in that like yeah the idealism behind what you're saying is 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 fantastic, but so often what we see is just like everyone driving everything down for the sake of that bottom line. Yeah. It's like anytime somebody sees something work, they immediately formularize it, they sterilize it, and they try to find some way to suck absolutely all the heart and the passion out of all of it so that they can just fucking mass produce it and make a buck for less. I, yeah, I totally see and, that point too, for sure. And it, it's it's so soul crushing to just see over and over and over and over and over in in every industry you can think of. It's always just like, yeah, let's go for the bottom line. Let's 
Let's do anything we can do to make this cheaper to produce, even if that means cheapening the product itself. And so, like, you know, I don't know if that's like capitalism's fault or American capitalism's fault, but I, you know, it's, it's so close, closely related, it's hard for me to like figure out where the line is. Well, you know, yeah, to, to me, you know, that's like, like, there's that saying that people, you know, use and it's like you know don't hate the player hate the game i totally disagree with that that statement you know i believe hate the player don't hate the game the game <laughs> just exists and the player plays it how they want and that's the problem right like like sure because it, it negates the responsibility of the player because right. the idea is like capitalism and i get that, that like, i'm not making the argument for like full-on anarchy or libert like full-on libertarianism i do believe that things can be regulated and controlled to an yeah. extent However, I also think that people need to be, they need to make better choices in how, you know, in the way that they're thinking about what actually matters. There's too many, there's too many people out there that are thinking about like what you're, th what you're saying, which is the bottom line. And it's okay, but the purpose of this thing is not the money at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's the, the intrinsic value of art here has to be right. uh, savored, I think. And that- way it the way it drives innovation. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's definitely the beautiful side of it. I just uh... because again, it's like it's like to me, if you the responsibility has to be on the person who's competing. You can't just say you, you can't just negate or or, or rule out the, the the you know the ethics or the morality of of yeah. what you're doing because you want to make a dollar, right? You have to yeah. like like ethics, more morality, and also just the intrinsic value of art have to maintain their value and, and have like a real say in, in the equation. Otherwise, it always becomes about the bottom line and then it yeah. suffers. And then as a culture, we suffer because we're getting fast food art now and it's, and it's toxic yeah. for, for the brain totally and, ha yeah. and how we move forward in our lives and, and as a society as a whole, you know? Yeah. So I definitely agree with what you're saying to that, to that end. Well, yeah, and hearing what you're saying, I, I feel like I need to like, update my hate <laughs> you know like so i mean maybe it's not capitalism in general it's you know american capitalism is is fraught with it um but yeah it's you know at the, at the end of the day it all just boils down to greed i have this interesting theory that greed is uh is another like addiction like the same way like alcoholism or you know like porn right that the, the scary thing about like greed or like a person's addiction for like more power or more money is that once you accumulate so much of it, the, the consequences drop off. Whereas like if you're addicted to heroin or if you're addicted to alcohol, it can damage your life. And at some point you'll have to like choose between having like an awful life or like kicking this this addiction but with greed the more you act on it and the more you gain the, the more those consequences fade away if you're rich enough like you you don't ever lose money you've got shield accounts and you know trust funds and you you know like if you get sued like you can just declare bankruptcy you don't lose any of your money like one portion of your company does and like these consequences just kind of fade away and the richer and more powerful you become the more accessibility you have to just gathering more wealth and power that is, that is and there's 
there's no way to like unbecome a greedy asshole. You just like <laughs> you just keep you just keep going. There's, yeah. there's no consequences for it. That that is definitely true to an extent, and I think uh, Bernie Madoff might be a good example of, of somebody that that didn't work for, right? Because like mm-hmm. he. After the collapse of the of the of the you know stock market in 2008, he was brought down for essentially running a Ponzi scheme, and 50 yeah. 50 billion dollars of investments and people's monies was just gone. And that was an example of his greed, where it, it worked against him, and he ended up now he's serving a le- the rest of his life in prison. You know, he was doing something that was overtly greedy, and it was and it was greed. It was a greed that was. You know, fulfill that was perpetuating more greed. The problem with other yeah. people is that there's an actual product or a service that they're that they're producing, that uh, yeah. that people are buying into, and then they figure out a way to manipulate that product or service uh, to to work for the greed. And that's the examples yeah. that we see. But there's but there's a level of greed where I think it does back. You know, do, there's a backlash. And if if your if your if your industry is greed, like you're doing a Ponzi scheme essentially. Then you'll see that that goes away, like because it's not sustainable. You know, at, at a certain point, there's a disregard for ethics. I think that that should be considered to be illegal. Maybe that that's where yeah. that's where it needs to be. That's where that line needs to be drawn. Like, okay, well, this isn't. You know, I, I talked to a, to a, a state legislator one time when I was in college, and I brought up the, and I and I brought something up. I was like, well, what about the corruption involving this, this, and this? And he was like, it's not corrupt. You might not agree with it, but it's not corrupt. And I was like, right, because corrupt would would imply that it's illegal, right? And that's the language that they use, right? If you say yeah, corrupt, it's, it's like scary. Yeah, because okay, well, it's not corrupt, but it's unethical. Okay, but it's not illegal. It's like fuck you, man. Well, then you get away with being a terrible piece of shit human being because yeah. it's technically not illegal. But but we yeah. all know that this is outside. Especially it was a Republican legislator. I'm like, especially for somebody who claims to live by a moral by a religious moral compass. Right. Right. It's like so it's unethical, it's, but you don't care, even though it's unethical to, to your God. But but because it's illegal or because it's legal to the government's eyes, like you still do it, and that's the fucked up yeah. part, you know. It's yeah. It's also so. It's also so scary to hear a person who is responsible for making laws in this country, you, you, like wield philosophy like that. Yeah. It's like well, it's 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 not corrupt if it's you know if it's legal. It's like motherfucker, you have the power to make it legal. Do you understand how scary it is to hear you say that? The, one thing I learned in college is that like when you're having a debate in the realm of philosophy, you have to kind of give grace to language and to ideas that come up because we know that we're not, we know that we're talking in a world of hypotheticals. We're not talking about a real world. So if we bring up controversial ideas or words or whatever, there needs to be grace given there that we're not actually saying what we think, we're, we're, we're just spit, spitballing ideas. But right. in politics, they always- If this happens, it equals this. Exactly, right? And it's like, well, what if this is, and then it does this. And it's like, well, that that what if might be the most controversial thing, but if the outcome could be, could be a positive, th- then we need to be able to have that discussion, right? But in the world, yeah. in the world of politics, they only live in that realm because they see none of the, they see none of the outcome of their decisions, right? Like right. down to the stop sign being changed in a neighborhood, whatever it might be. Like they experience whatever call they make, they experience none of the outcomes. They have their income coming in. They have their universal health care. They have their people donating to their campaigns, which afford their lifestyles always and forever. 
And as long as they keep that running, they don't really give a shit about what conversations are being had or what decisions are being made. As long as they keep their place in office, they can just do and say whatever they want. And that's what they do. So when somebody like that says, well, it might be, you know, it's not corrupt because it's legal, right? So but you might not agree with it. It's like, you can just, but you can just say that because you don't have to deal with the consequences of what you're saying right now. I live in the community yeah. that you're talking about and this is what it does and this is why it's a problem. So if you don't see why it's a problem, then fuck you and why are you making decisions for me, right? <laughs> right. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy, man. Do you feel like Madoff was a, an exception or do you feel like he was the rule? Um, I no, he's definitely an ex he was definitely made an example of just given of the time, right? Like the, the, yeah. the industry collapsed and the world economy collapsed and he was running a Ponzi scheme, right? And then yeah. it's like, well, this is the one guy that we can, that we can really, he was doing, he was overtly doing something illegal and just the weight of his clients. I mean, people like George Clooney and, and, and fucking like, like mega movie stars, but also mega investors and firms, right? Like, like entire companies invested money into just the weight of his clientele and and yeah. the, and the time it was a perfect storm for him to be the face of the collapse of the united states because at the right. end of the day there always needs to be a scapegoat nobody's going to take responsibility for what happened right so yeah. we just say bernie madoff ran a ponzi scheme so here's your here's your bad guy and it's like well he was just taking advantage of a system that was created long before he ever became a player and it's like well the player does need to accept responsibility 100 percent, but the system that we created allowed him to take advantage in that capacity as well so i don't know yeah you know so yeah so like given that from most for most people who are able to like acquire wealth and power given that the you know the odds are low that they'll be making an example of that like, they, they totally take advantage of that yeah for sure yeah. like i feel that 100 like, percent. this is this is this is a problem you know and and going back to what you were saying about legislators just like manipulating words and and twisting everything so that the rules just make sense for them it's it's like man at some point either somebody's got to stand up and say like no there's there's like there's a reason to do the right thing or we just continue to pursue like the almighty dollar and let the chips fall where they may and sorry if you're the little guy that's that's just what you were born into yeah get fucked <laughs> i think i think that you know there's an interesting you know but we can move on after this i just there's a point that i think is interesting is that there's like this idea of the collective and this idea of the individual and then this this is where uh we you know the right is saying well the individual is what matters and then the their left is saying well the collective is what matters and i think that we have to stop like talking about that dichotomy or just like that that dynamic and, and start saying that like when we can figure out how to teach people that that the, that that the interest of the individual is the interest of the collective then we can start to like really have a conversation because otherwise what we're saying is that the government has to own everything and make this, the the decisions uh for the for the that are best for the collective and then the people on this side saying well it's the individual don't trust the people on on the left and it's, there's, there's this war that's created it's like well guys like the idea, the idea ultimately is that what's best for me is best for all of us. What's best for yeah. you is best for me. If we're all working in the under the idea that like, you know, our our self interests are at stake here, 
then I want you and everyone else around me to be as happy as possible. That way I can like also be as happy as possible. Because if I'm sitting here fucking over everybody around me, I'm creating a world that I, that's not sustainable, right? Right. So like we have to yeah. get get in line with the idea that the, that, the, that the interests of the collective and the individual are aligned. I believe, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyways, it's enough of the fucking political. Bullshit. We tumbled right into that yeah, one, didn't we? I know. Uh, you guys want to do some unpopular opinions? Oh yeah. Let's fucking, yes. Let's yes. Fucking it. do it. Uh, you guys got some back there? Yeah. All right. Um, they're an unpopular opinion. There's not enough 24 hour spots of, of anything across the board. Uh, <laughs> there's just not, uh, uh well, well, I agree with look, that. Yeah. Waffle house. That's great. You're our savior, but like, I want to go do my laundry at three in the morning and there's just not places here in Jacksonville I can do that. No, oh, you got to go move to a real city for that, bro. <laughs> I'm thinking about it, but um, they uh, like Walmart's. They they stop Walmart's from being 24 hours. Like I, I need my breakfast cereal after my gig. Like what the fuck is yeah. this shit? Like I get it. Like you know, everyone thinks it's still like the 1920s or whatever. Like we all wake up at eight, we all go to our jobs, we're all home by five, and we're all asleep by ten. No, we're not doing that shit anymore. Like uh, there's so many you know, people with different schedules, like we need to be able to go out and do shit at night. Come on, work with us here. Yeah, I mean, I, th I, I don't totally agree with you because I think there are plenty of examples in bigger cities where that's the case, but yeah, well, I, um, there. I know. So like, that's why I don't totally agree with you. I agree that there that, that needs to happen more in, you know, cities that have a bigger population uh, that um, don't have there are you don't have places open past 2 a.m. or whatever. I think that needs to needs to definitely change though for sure. I hear a lot of old people complaining about like robots are gonna take our jobs. This is why I want robots to take our jobs. Exactly. Robots <laughs> don't need to sleep because I mean that's the thing is Just that like you have to have people hours. to like work Walmart at you know 1 a.m. and I, there's barely enough people that want to work Walmart at 1 p.m. Like you know so like you know but robots don't give a shit. Like, you know, uh, there's a weird button on that. Um, but um, yeah. 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 I get it. I mean, you make, you just make the the robots work the hours that we don't want to work. Look, we already have to be our own cashiers. I should be able to go in there and check out whatever I want. <laughs> True. <laughs> Man, self-checkout gets a lot of hate from people these days. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah it's, I, don't I love it. I'm into it, too. I love it, too. I mean, the Walmart discount. Like, yeah. I've always, I've always watched them do that job and be like, I can, I can do I, this. Yeah. Like. Why you don't need to do that? That's fine. Yeah. Like I have, like, like I, have arms, I, can, like, I can assure you, as somebody who works in a grocery store, though, that that is the second best job to work in that store. I bet next to the, next to manager. To, no, it's a meat department <laughs> because like it's constantly moving, right? If you have to work in grocery oh, so or the warehouse or something, bro, I've worked eight-hour yeah. shifts where in in like grocery where you're just walking around and you're like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, why am I getting paid to work here? So I can wait here till we close just to move everything forward to make it look good in the morning. It's so, st not even restock, yeah. just move the things forward. So it just looks like it's fully stocked. Like what kind of North Korea bullshit is that? You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, I feel that. I guess it depends on just like how much you like the job. Like if you're there to do the work, then like, yeah, please pay me to like keep busy. But if you hate the job, it's like, yeah, I will love being on the clock, not doing shit right now. Yeah. Please pay me for that. Yeah. I If I if yeah. I have to be somewhere and, and like for any amount of time, I would rather be there working than not because at least it makes the time go by. I can't, I, yeah. I don't understand this like, being on the clock and just doing nothing and making money. It's like, okay, I don't care about making the money. Like, give me something to do so the time goes by. If I have nothing to do, I'm just sitting here making money, but I'm not doing anything. I could be practicing, writing, doing anything, but I'm not. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. That, that should, yeah. But yes, yeah. you know, 24-hour shit, I'm all for it. For more. more yeah, I'm for into sure. it. Yep. Uh, what you got, Gene? I don't really have anything right now, honestly. Wow, bro. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, you go. You go. Okay. Here's a second one for Gene. Uh, okay. Sure. Cruise ships can't be that great. <laughs> no, that is a fucking fact. Like, <laughs> honestly. Okay. Like cruise ships are like. Don't get me wrong. Like, I just got off of a cruise. It was. It was fun. But I mean, like, I don't know. It's just like. It's just a big boat. Like, maybe that was just the cruise I was on. Like, it's cool. Like, I don't know. They're they're a little overrated. Like, it's I don't a know. it's a big it's an all inclusive hotel on the water. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a it reminds me it reminds me a lot of Vegas and like there's only so much Vegas I can handle. Like I'm not even oh, a huge dude. Vegas fan, so like 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 an hour. I can yeah. handle <laughs> about an hour of Vegas. Yeah. And that's that's pushing it. And especially like you go down to the casino deck and it's just like this even smells like Vegas. Like this just yeah. the, I am just it in really Vegas. does. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it just it's something else. They just pipe some of the boat exhaust into the casino floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it wouldn't so surprise good. me like that was good Chris <laughs> yeah I don't know I, I I've only been on a cruise once and I, it was when I was very young and I remember it being fun but I was also a child that had no context for anything yeah you so, don't have to pay like, for it you don't have to pay for any of that like right, and I, that that's what was great about this cruise this was a family cruise like when my stepdad was retiring so we all went and it was he, he footed the bill and it was great I wouldn't want to do that like and pay money for it because I know it was probably extremely expensive and like especially if you like we had a drink package where like our drinks were included so it was pretty much like all you could drink all week which was wow. great because I've heard people that are like if you don't get that like you will end up spending as much money as you spent on the cruise on booze on the imagine. cruise yeah. like so like having the drink package but even then like everything else is super expensive it's like you know like $18 a glass of wine like you know for a well, wine you could buy for $20 a bottle that's insane. Like, you know, so it is what it is. And then I was telling all these these guys before the podcast that I had, I had some gripes about the, the production on the cruise. But it makes sense because it's clearly something that was programmed three years ago for an idiot to run. So like, <laughs> I just, that's, that's kind of what it is, I think. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good unpopular opinion. I mean, I, I haven't been on a cruise, so I don't have any point of reference. Um, to talk about it, but yeah, I could see how it'd be a little underwhelming after like, I mean, I'm about to do a cruise gig for two weeks off yeah. the coast of Europe in like, in like a month or two or something. Uh, so I'm gonna find out very quickly how much I hate it or love it. I would imagine after day three or four, it gets pretty monotonous though. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine like doing one of those cruises cause I was just like, we were getting back into port and I was just sitting there, like it was a Saturday, our cruise left on a Saturday. I was like, this cruise is literally like, we're leaving now at 10. There are people about to probably come on this boat at noon. Like, and then it's just gonna, 
it's going to start back up again. Like they're going to switch the key from goodbye to hello. And then like, it'll be like another week. Like, oh let's, let's That's do it again. Wow. I couldn't, wow. I couldn't imagine that. Like, you know, like it's just, yeah, mind boggling. What do you think, Matt? I, th I think uh, it was in, as soon as you said, you've got a gig, a cruise gig coming up. I wondered, I needed, I, I need to know like, what kind of gig are you just in one of the onboard like ship entertainment bands or are you going on there with an artist like yeah what, we went on there the with gig? an artist yeah and uh so I backing him up yeah yeah so i think that having a cruise gig that way like that's probably the most enjoyment you could get out of a cruise the only cruises i've done were that i did one with a like a texas country artist and he was enough of an asshole that he almost like ruined every experience <laughs> I had with him. But it was still like all the time I got to spend not around him on the ship being paid to be there. Like it was pretty dope. And then I did another one with like a, a Christian band. And that, that one was weird for me. It was like a marriage cruise. And I mean, it was me and my wife on the gig, but it was still just like, man, this is weird. Like this, we're all on this boat for a week just like doing like seminars and <laughs> you know like oh my god like, like worship sets like this whole thing is just about like being married you know yeah i was like this is weird but i still had like a really great time because like the band was dope and i was paid to be there and we got to do a few excursions it was like my wife's first time to go zip lining ever oh nice <laughs> and it was just like yeah it was a lot of fun um, but I've heard nightmare stories about just like being in one of the show bands on the ship. Like apparently the musicianship is just like yeah, not something I, you want to deal with. I saw some shows ever. and I was not not impressed by a lot of things that happened. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I have friends that you know make most of their living off of you know doing the cruise ship thing and like yeah and uh, yeah not backing artists or just like a band on the on the ship or whatever. And it's a uh, you know, some contracts, depending on what you sign, like when you're not playing, you have to be doing like, you know, cleaning duties, like cleaning bathrooms or like doing whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. And or or if you're if it's not that like, you can't talk to any of the people on the ship or like if you're not playing, you have to remain in your quarters type thing. Like like there, there's all these rules with this one that I'm doing, I'm backing up an artist. So it's that we have more that like, we can do the excursions and we can do all, like whatever we want to do basically, yeah. you know, to within, we can't, we don't have full range like, like the passengers do, but like we, mm. we can still do, you know, way more than what most of the people that I know that have done cruises can do, you know? Yeah. So if there's one way to make like a, a variety band gig worse, it's to like just trap you on a boat with extra <laughs> rules. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Um, real, real quick, I did want to apply Chris's thing to Chris's other thing, which was my thing. Um, the, yeah. uh, uh, the 24 hours. One thing I was super annoyed about on the cruise is like shit closed. I'm like, why does anything on this boat close? Like yeah. nothing. Like At any time. all of us are adults. Like we're all like, you know, if I if I want to fucking play in like, you know, if I want to be in the pool at 2 a.m., why can't I be in the pool at 2 a.m.? Like, I don't get yeah, it. Why real. does the hot tub close at 1030? This is insane. Like, you know, I was just like, because at a certain point, the only thing that was open was this like Irish pub themed bar called Oceans. Like, and that's that's where we were every night at <laughs> one a, 2 a.m. drunk as shit, being like, we need some French fries. Oh, like, 
like, but like <laughs> and you can't even get them. Like and like there's the kitchen there's closed an hour ago. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. No, like oh my god, Brutal. it was like the other thing that was funny is we got on the boat and we all read the descriptions for all the little areas, and there was this one place we read the description of. We were like, that is the raddest place ever, and then the next sentence was it was like teen lounge, and we were like, god damn it. Oh, like, yeah. I remember that I, I went I went in a teen lounge when I went on there because I was like twelve or something like that. Yeah, and it was pretty dope for a teen lounge. Lots of lights yeah. and terrible music. So yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's pretty much that's a, that's a cruise for you. Like yeah, yeah. Um, that's a, that's a good one. Um, what you got, Matt? I was trying to think. I you know about the only unpopular opinion I have lately is just like you know I probably liked a movie that most people hated. You know, I, I don't have any good ones lately. I I still kind of I still kind of want to stick to the one I had the last time we did this, especially since it's not since it, it'll never air. Stick to it. I love that unpopular opinion. Let's get into it. Yeah, and that is that just like rock musicians aren't as as good as all the fucking hype they get. <laughs> yes. Shit, this Agreed. shit's still, you know. And like after having that conversation with y'all, there were like parts of it that I wanted to update. Like after I got to thinking about it, like I, I still have a lot of respect for what rock artists do, you know, and it's kind of what you said about like, like about how valuable, like what Gary said about what he does is it's like, yeah, they do what they do. I, I think for me more than anything, it's not even hate anymore. It's just like a frustration for people who like carry these opinions, you know? Just oh like, yeah, totally. They're the best band Ever, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier tonight, just like anytime you say something is the best, it's ridiculous. It's like it's insane. Right. It's ludicrous. Right. Like how do you even how do you even verify this opinion that you have? <laughs> right. Right. The best at what? How do you how do you even calculate that? Right. You know, and so people I the one that keeps like punching me in the face, just punching like pow, pow <laughs> is 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 uh just the love that Red Hot Chili Peppers fans have for that band. <laughs> <laughs> this man gets me, dude. Yeah, we just talked about this recently. Yeah, dude. <laughs> John Vershante is such a good guitarist, bro. It's like, bro, he's just a rock guitarist. Like, you need to chill the fuck well, out. Yeah. Would, would you say Anton a rock guitarist with a heroin addiction? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's like he's like he's he's okay, man. Like, yeah, it's like he's doing. He's does he does what he does. Right. That's and the only thing that I people, will say, yeah. You know, because they have rock star status, they get they get like these privileges that like some people just will never have. And that is one of those privileges is to like build these super bands. You know, uh, I saw like a one of my students showed me this YouTube video of one of these super groups. It was like Flea and Frusciante and o, uh, Omar from uh, Mars Volta. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's an and, animal. Like, that guy. Yeah, it, well, even Omar and this video was kind of what ex, like shed some light on this for me because I love what Omar does, and up until I saw this video, like I would jump right on the bandwagon. I would be like, "Oh yeah, Omar is a phenomenal musician," and for what he does, I stand by that opinion. But this this group of Flea and him and Frusciante, they were trying to do a bunch of like really proggy, like fusion based odd meter stuff without a drummer that I don't know which one of them wrote, but it's just like, and that was another thing. Like all of their tones 
man, their tones work really great in the bands that they're in. Right. But if you just throw the three of them on a stage together, guys that have nothing but like just decades of experience doing their thing in their band. Right. And then you ask the three of them to do something cohesive together. Dude, it was unlistenable. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. I hated it. I hated every second of it. And with Flea and Frusciante, I could give a fuck. It's just like, these guys can suck all they want to suck. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> but it was hard for me to watch Omar up there, like sounding bad, sounding objectifiably bad. Yeah doing that thing i was like ah oh, man this is this is really hard for me i like what this guy does i like it a lot but this sucks and it, the only reason this is happening is because rock fans everywhere are just like yeah they're incredible put them on a stage with goddamn anybody it'll sound amazing <laughs> yeah right it's like no it won't don't put them on the stage with anybody but the band that they do shit with because it's gonna sound like a fucking dumpster fire it's, uh, don't do it <laughs> It's off. It's it's what happens when we let uh, the consumer be the producer, right? Yes, it's, it's, absolutely. It's like it's like you guys listen. Let us do what we do, and you decide whether or not you like it. But you yeah. you don't get to choose who we're gonna play with, and and like you know what the outcome of the music is gonna be. Because at the end of the day, that's what we do. You guys yeah. press the like button or the love button, and then we adapt how we have to but like at the end of the day you know don't you don't get to choose what gets to happen up here you know what i mean it's like it's just yeah that's what happens when when we try to like please a consumer versus just staying true to what we do the chili peppers yeah. as far as i'm concerned like they're in a, like i love i love the chili peppers i'm a big fan right but like yeah i love but there's no part of me that's saying that like they're the best musicians on the planet and I don't think that any of any one of them would would say that either, right? Like I think that they're very right. well aware of what they do and 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 where they stand in the pecking order of musicianship. To to me, like they sound good in in the context of what they do. Um, outside yeah. of that, I wouldn't expect anything anything more. Uh, I would I would I would I would for sure expect less, but I wouldn't expect more than what I've heard yeah. with Chili Peppers, you know. <laughs> Oh boy, we could go down a rabbit hole on this one. Oh, dude, they're just they're just so many. Like you know, all the like real metalhead fans who just like hail Metallica as the greatest band of all time, and then like just like pick a random Kirk Hammett solo. Just go ahead. Yeah. Just fucking just put it in a bucket, bro. Draw one lottery style. I'm gonna tell you exactly why I hate every single thing about it. <laughs> it's not. It's not good, man. Yeah. It's not. And like, you know, there's there's obviously Kirk Hammett is like, or not Kirk Hammett, sorry. Our, James Hetfield is just like the most undeniable rhythm guitarist for metal yeah. of all time. I wish people would just say that. Right, right. You know, like, it's like, yeah, Metallica's a decent band. Weird writing. Let's be honest. Like, I get really tired of people trying to tell me that the writing in Metallica is so fucking good. No, it's weird, <laughs> yeah. bro. It's weird, okay? What is it? It's not classical. It's not metal. It's like, the forms of these songs are, like, and cool. Like, they did a journey, but it's just, like, it's a journey of riffs. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> They're not doing anything mind-blowing. It's just, like, here's a riff, here's another riff, here's another We've got 15 riffs, and we're going to string <laughs> and, them all together. And now we have a song. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's not mind-blowing writing. Can we stop pretending that it's the fucking best thing since 
Bah. I, th- I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that I could say about that is just like the time, right? Of when they were like doing what they were doing. Like it was like, yeah. it was very heavy and like just kind of not being done at a, at a mainstream level for, for that yeah. time. And I, th- I think that's, that's the main thing. But a lot of that was before even I think Kirk Hammett was in the band, right? Like, yeah. So it's like, then all the stuff in the nineties came around and they kind of toned it down big time. And it was like, okay, well then this isn't even really the Metallica that, that people are talking about from like the eighties. This is like a whole different what's, thing. And what's crazy is like the stuff I like the best by them is all the stuff that like the diehard fans like hate. Right. <laughs> I like the black album. Me too. I like yeah. load. Dude, I fucking like Load. Like, just suck on that for yeah. a little bit, Metallica fans. I like that fucking record. Because they wrote songs on that record, right. for crying out loud. Right, right. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that, man, 100%. Man, I used to think jazz fans were the most pretentious people out there, but it's really rock fans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it really is, man. I, I think oh, it's, I think especially sucking their own dick. Even like when you get older and you start to get to like people that are really into like Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, I think those people are super fucking pretentious. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I I love Zeppelin. I, I won't deny, it, but I know, do too. But yeah, Zeppelin I mean, they're great. Awesome. But, like, and Jimmy Page, people that worship Page, them. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy Page, you know, is uh, the we've talked about this before, the king of slop, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. However, same. One of my, you know, one of my early influences, and I can't deny the impact he's had on on my playing and just my, you know. Yeah, the slop really resonates. Yeah. Shut the Absolutely. fuck up. Absolutely. Absolutely. You like wow. up, You're like, oh, I 100 percent agree. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's hard. Yeah. Um, well, you know, bro, with friends like these, <laughs> tell me about it, bro. <laughs> Chris is just trying to get all the payback for the years of torment I put on him over the. <laughs> so you know. Um, anyways, um, ongoing. But but, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know, man. There, there's a lot of stuff with, with that. I mean, I feel like to me, when when people, I I would have a much easier time if people would say things like they're the greatest guitar player that I've heard or the greatest guitar player, you know, within this genre of music, whatever it might be. Right. Like, how can you just like, like so confidently and dismissively say they're the greatest guitar player of all time? Like someone like fucking, you know, like, like Paige is a good example, uh, you know, say that they're like the best when, uh, especially of that time when you have like, even before that time, we have people like Wes Montgomery that exists or like fucking right. just, Anybody of of any other like you know, of any of jazz in general or funk, where it's like these people had a much better idea of time and harmony and arranging and all this stuff, where it's like, you know, Dude, to to just tone tone every yeah had, or Paige's tone was 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 hard yeah definitely I, I agree with yeah. you for sure the rock you know the the rock guys and really their fans are the ones that are the hard ones because I think every, any musician you know, of within their respective fields would admit that they're, that they're not what the, what their fans say they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then you got guys like Joe Walsh and fucking Glenn Fry from the Eagles that were just like, you know, I mean, Hotel California is a, is an amazing and iconic solo. And I mean, probably the perfect rock and roll solo, in my opinion. Dude, the phrasing is like, is it's just well, uh, like, no, it's flabbergasting. It. Yeah. It's like, man, like, Right inside the changes, but every like every lick was like a statement. Totally, man. You know, 
and, and it, it's like and you like jazz guys and I, i'll i'll say this all day because i'm absolutely guilty of it we're, we're just so we're so prone to just like picking a subdivision and then just like vomiting notes at that tempo right. for like an, an entire set of changes and like yeah it's you know it's it's a matter of taste and you know you're 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 searching and all this stuff but you get you get back to the the Hotel California solo, and it's just like, man, every single phrase is like a lick that you could put in a lick book. Like, you should probably learn this because it's great. A hundred percent, man. And, you know, at the risk of making a statement that that we're t- complaining about, right? Like, <laughs> oh, it's it's the best there is. It's like, no, this, like, this is quantifiably great. It's, it's a... Uh, it affects people when they hear it. Right. You know, you can and it's, sing it's it. It's been remembered for years. And you, if you took it and, yeah, you can sing it. And if you took it and put it into one of your own solos, it would also have impact. Right. Exactly, man. Exactly. So well composed. So, you know, I think, I think overall, what, like my takeaway from the whole thing is that, like, I don't know if it's the genre necessarily. I think that it's, there's a lot of players within every genre that kind of get get uh, uh, an accolade that maybe they shouldn't deserve. Just the problem with rock and roll and blues and the more kind of attainable styles of music is that <laughs> is that there's a lot of people that get accolades with them that just haven't put the work in. And because it's so obtainable, it's uh, they they get by in that world, you know. Yeah. Um, and then it's it, there's a lot less forgiveness in genres like jazz and classical music and and just you know. Prog rock and there's there's like negative forgiveness in the classical world. <laughs> my, yeah. my wife tells me nightmare stories. She's a what I like to call a recovering classical musician. <laughs> That's our um, the drummer in my in my band side hustle, my old band side hustle. Um, he was he's a classical percussionist first, and he would tell Dude. me these horror stories of just like it's it's brutal. Yeah, man. Yeah, so just. Just like unbearable amounts of judgment for the tiniest details. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, do you sound like they sounded back in fucking you know three hundred years right. ago? It's like I don't know. Do I? Like, who knows what yeah. that sounds like? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> you can, and you can just be exiled over like over a two note phrase, right? <laughs> um, all right. So that was a good unpopular. I, I love that. I'm glad that you said that one again because I, I, I liked that one the last time too. It's the only one I got. <laughs> so I'm going to go with something maybe a little less controversial. Uh, people who uh, hold up the line buying Powerball tickets at the fucking gas station <laughs> can go right to fucking hell. See, this is where the answer of robots comes into play. They have the machines and you can go to the machine. Like, I swear I, to I God. don't have to go to the fucking counter. Go to the goddamn robot. Do you know how many times... I've sat there at a gas station on the way to a gig or something. I was just like, I've got a fucking water bottle and some, I don't know, like fucking a, a gas station pizza or something just to hold me over so I can get through the right. gig. And I got to go and somebody's sitting there trying to pick out fucking lotto numbers or like fucking cashing their lotto numbers. Like, bro, we're talking $2 here. You're costing me more than that just by waiting in this fucking line for that. I don't understand how it's even still a thing, right? Like in the, in the day and age where we have like apps and automation for literally everything. For real. Why are we selling lottery tickets at a counter? Bro. Like why is it not all completely digital? For real, bro. Or at the very least a fucking robot in the gas station that we can just fucking automatically handle the shit. If you really got to get up 
and go to the fucking gas station to go yeah. enter a raffle that you're for sure not going to win. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> like, please, why are you like, I'm trying to actually go make money right now while you're just right. wasting your fucking money on something that's for sure not, that's, or for sure not thing. It's not going to happen for you. I'm sorry. So I mean, in the least bit, put it in a vending machine, yeah. you know, yes. yeah, like exactly. where, where you're not holding up the line. Yeah. Just like, Put it somewhere else. I want you could you could have lotto number dispensing vending machines at every street. Like they could be more they could be more common than ATMs for crying 100%. out loud. hundred percent. Think about the money to be made uh, if you just had lotto vending machines at, and you stopped holding up the line at convenience stores. We're talking about multiple tiers of of money to be made. A hundred percent, bro. I'm so glad that we're all on board with that because that shit drives me fucking crazy. It's ruined many a gig because that is a mood killer. Like, I am instantly furious. I'm pissed. <laughs> no music is on in the car. I'm now angry going yeah. to the gig. And then I play like fucking Jimmy Page, sloppy as shit the whole fucking rest of the gig, man. I just can't stand these people. Yeah, I like how you use that excuse for that. Uh, yeah. I'd use some excuse and I'll make up another one in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, that's that's one of my biggest pet peeves, man. I can't stand it. I don't buy lottery tickets. I don't care to fucking uh, buy into that system at all. And when other people are doing it, all I can think is like, you are a fool. Please get the fuck out of my way so I can go do so I can really contribute to society while you sit here and just be a fucking succubus. <laughs> on everyone around you because that's what you are if you're sitting there holding up a line for fucking especially if you're buying multiple of them fuck you <laughs> straight up <laughs> anyways <laughs> all right yeah that's a that's a really good one i never thought about it before i don't go to convenience stores that often anymore but uh but yeah for whatever reason it triggers an infinite like an instant an instant level of frustration with me yeah yeah so anyways it's my unpopular opinion for this week uh matt thank you so much for again for taking time out of your schedule to do this with us and absolutely uh, always enjoy the conversation man uh we'll have to do it again uh even though this, i'd love to this one's for sure gonna work this time yeah, I'm positive. this one's gonna we work this one lock. we're gonna fucking do this again though and I, I, you know just good luck with everything i'm so glad that the kill tony thing's been working out for you and I'm stoked to see what projects you got coming. I, I keep up with you on Instagram all the time. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm excited for everything you got ahead of you, man. So good luck with everything. And thank you again for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate y'all. Hell yeah, man. We'll talk soon.